Patricia, my darling Patricia I can see all my dreams in your eyes Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day You're much fairer than Aaron. Well, I'm going to get shot tonight because I'm going to turn down Perry Como. Oh, all right. <laughs> we'll make it up. We'll make it up a little later when we play the whole song. But, you know, uh, Saturday night, everybody, May 28th, year 2016. Thank you for waiting for us. We've been having such a good time. And I'm going to have Patricia introduce our two special guests. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden, and happy Saturday, everybody. We have two guests tonight, which is so exciting because they're going to talk about different parts of the subject Walden has been talking about for weeks. We have with us Tracy O'Connell, who is the grandson of Chester Gould. I know our family who's listening, they know who Chester Gould is, the Uh, creator of Dick Tracy, who wrote and drew the comic strip just short of 49 years. He finished December 25th, 1977. Do I have that correct? That's correct. That's right. That is the last strip, yes, and he started in 1931. We also have Jeff Kirsten, who is president of the board of directors of the Dick Tracy Museum, and you can find that at dicktracymuseum.com. Dot com. He has been, um, my goodness, the resident historian as well, and he is so up to date with the history of Dick Tracy, the current Dick Tracy. So I've got mucho questions for both of them. Welcome, Jeff, and welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Thank we are you. so excited to have both of you with us. For our listeners, it is May 28, 2016, and we do that because the show reruns at different times. So it's May 28, 2016 at this moment, and we are live at this moment, which means you can give us a call. Just pick up the phone and call 714-545-2016. Seven, one. And I'll repeat that in just a little bit. Now, for the two of you, Jeff and Tracy, I looked at all of this information and I thought, my goodness, where am I going to start? So I decided to start with the Dick Tracy appearances. I'll, I'll use the word appearances in different medium or media that he appeared. The comic strip started on October 4th, 1931, and it's still going today. Radio show was 1934 to 1946. The comics were out in 1936. There were several movies in the 1940s. There was a film in 1990. I mean, we're still coming up to current animated cartoons. It is just extraordinary that a single character can have such staying power in so many different places. I just love it. So I'm going to start with a question for you, Tracy. Your grandfather was born in 1900, and he died in 1985. Now, you answered this question when we were all by ourselves before we got on the air. Which of those years were you able to spend time with him? You know, 29 of those years, I, I, you know, I was born, and uh, uh, I was 29 years old when he passed away. And uh, not only was I fortunate enough to have him around when I was a child and growing up, but 
I was able to know him as an adult, at, me as an adult. Uh, went off and got my college degree in engineering, and and uh, he was a mentor just just with life. He he um, he had this persona about him. I think everyone is, is, is knows somebody like this that uh, just being around him recharges your batteries, and that's mm-hmm. the type of outlook and life he had. Um, the glass was always half full. It wasn't half empty. It was, it was partly sunny, not partly cloudy. I mean, it was. He was always on the upside. Always, Tracy. I don't know how we managed to get away with life without the internet, which gave me the privilege of finding some photos of your grandfather. And in every one, no matter what age he was at, he just looked like the kind of person you hoped would sit next to you at lunch. <laughs> That's really kind of you to say. Um, he really was. I mean, just a smile, and he had a very kind, um, his face was kind. That's all I can, that's the best mm-hmm. I can describe. Well, he was, he was a very kind person, very kind grandfather, um, just someone you wanted to be around all the time, and um, uh, it's, uh, it's the old saying of like a man's man. You know, I mean, he was just a just a um, a, a great association. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even even going back going back to my, to my college. I'll tell you a funny story if I can elaborate a little bit from outside your, oh, your sure. question there. <clears throat> uh, when I was in college, I joined a fraternity called Lambda Chi Alpha, and um, I got home at the, you know the end of the year. And, I went up to my grandparents' place and said, Gramp, I, uh, I joined this fraternity. You ever hear of it? It's called Lambda Chi Alpha. He said, put it there, brother. I said, what? He said, I'm a Lambda Chi from Oklahoma A&M and Northwestern University. I had no oh. idea, none. <laughs> so we were not only grandson amazing. and grandfather, we were fraternity brothers. <laughs> you were fraternity brother, and you yeah. clearly you just said you had no idea None. I don't no. know what the chances are of that happening in any family, but I'm sure glad it happened in yours. <laughs> Me <too>. How <laughs> old were you, Tracy, when when you realized that half the world knew Dick Tracy and your grandfather and the characters and the comic strip? Well, you, you know, growing up as a kid, I, I just, he was my grandfather. He was fun, you know, when I was a little kid. And... Um, he drew this comic strip. I would see it in the paper. I'd see the color, you know, on the Sunday pages. It was all so colorful and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, I didn't really think anything of it. It's just, it's just my grandfather. That's what he does. And, um, <clears throat> it, excuse me, it wasn't until perhaps when I got into uh, maybe college that I, that I said, wow, he's really, he's really known all over. But it never, it never, um, how can I say it, uh, said wow look at him no he, he he always he taught us in a way or me anyway too is everything was kept in reason you know he he, he grew up in a dirt floor log cabin and he never forgot where he came from it wasn't like he when he went from from that situation to the success he had with dick tracy um he never put himself up on a pedestal and that was conveyed not only to my mom but to to my sister and I, growing up as grandchildren, um, mm-hmm. that th- this is what I do, and that's it. So no big deal. And um, it, it didn't. Um, I, I, I was pro- very, very proud of him. I'm very proud of him now. 
uh, I was proud of him in college and as well as in high school. But it wasn't something that I said, hey, look at me. You know, this is something else. Wow. Yeah. Never, never. He was just uh, my best friend, my grandfather, and uh, that was it. I love that. My best friend is not something we hear very often, and especially no, he, today. He, yeah, I miss him very much. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm very no, miss him no, still, tremendously. I I would imagine you do, and it has been quite a few years, and he's still in your heart and your head. Oh, yep. Yeah. Now, Till we meet again. <laughs> yes. Well. Oh, yes. But you know, hearing the term "best friend" is not something we're accustomed to hearing in today's environment, especially yeah. about a father, a grandfather, a sister someone so close to you, we don't hear that anymore. And it's just very warm for me to hear those words. When you were in high school and college, you said, you came to the realization that there was something very special about what your grandfather did and what he created for others to enjoy. How did the other kids you were with and the, the college students you were with respond to that when they realized gosh they had been enjoying your grandfather's work for many years they well, they they just thought hey that's neat and that was it i mean they they there wasn't any they thought it was very interesting but that was it that's just, i mean uh, other than that hey we were friends and we went out and did stuff kids of you know were doing those days i mean uh, uh-huh. it, i wasn't it wasn't anything special it was just hey your grandfather didn't draws separate you that's neat. yeah didn't separate you out at all. Tell me, if you can, about his work and work habits. For example, where was his work area? What hours did he choose to work? How many strips ahead did he work on? How did he balance his personal life with his work life? Just anything at all. Start talking. Okay, you know what? I'm going to back up a little bit to when I was in grade school. I used Uh to draw fire engines specifically when when I was younger. I thought that was pretty neat. Well, he and my grandmother came down to my parents' house uh, one day for dinner, and um, he saw this drawing of this fire truck. Well, make a long story short, he incorporated this fire engine into a Sunday page of Dick Tracy way back. And mm-hmm. in a way, I, looking back, I think it was a, a way of my grandfather seeing if Tracy would be interested at some point in time, maybe, taking over Dick Tracy and, and uh, drawing it and writing it and all that. Um, mm-hmm. I, it didn't come to that. I, I, like I said, I went off and got an engineering degree from there, but uh, that was in grade school. Um, okay, skipping ahead to your main question there about how his, his uh, day would go. Mm-hmm. What I remember growing up, uh, and this would be, you know, he had been doing Dick Tracy for some time at that time, uh, Mondays would be going down to the Chicago Tribune uh, Tower and uh, uh, putting a, a Sunday page together in, in dailies, and um, uh, and then coming back on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, working with his two assistants at his studio at his house. Um, his day would begin wake, waking up at four in the morning. Um, he had a pool at that time, swimming a couple laps, sitting down for breakfast. And then being down at the drawing table around uh, six, seven o'clock in the morning, uh, his help would show up around nine. They'd work until two, and then he would um, uh, push himself away from the drawing board just to get some rest and go out and do some yard work or what have you. Um, 
at night, he always had a tablet of paper near his bed just in case he dreamt of something or thought of something, he'd write it down right away. He was always thinking. Um, uh, I'm, I'm kind of I'm go, going to go outside your, your main question a little bit, if you don't mind. I mean, I, no, please. Just take off something. in any direction. Thank you. Was, okay. there, a, was, there, a right. spe, was there a special room that, where the dorm room stayed, or was it where was the, uh, that part of the house? It's, his studio, yeah, it was a it was a selected part of the house, okay. the studio on the first floor, and um, it always, you know, when I was younger, he smoked cigars, so I remember as a little kid walking in there and smelling cigar smoke. It just, and mm. he used to use kitchen matches that he would strike on his drawing table and hold underneath his his um, uh, drawing that he just did with the India ink underneath to dry the India ink so he could continue to draw further. <laughs> One oh way to chart. Yeah, one way, and it always smelled like sulfur. I mean, if you, uh, you'd smell his drawing table, it'd smell like, you know, sulfur from the, from the matches. But yeah. um, one way to tell an original is by turning it over. You'll see a bunch of dark, you know, soot-type colored stuff on the back of the, uh, back of the uh, original. And that was him trying to, to dry the paint, which he did. Once in a while, he'd burn through, but rarely. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, they didn't have hair dryers back in 1931 and stuff, so... He, he had to use matches, and he never had to worry about electricity with that stuff. So That's amazing. You're anticipating some of my questions here, because as soon as you finished talking, I was going to say, didn't any of them ever catch on fire? Oh, yeah. Answer, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a while. But, um, uh, but anyway, um, but that, that's, that was his, uh, his routine. He was constantly thinking, and uh, um, I remember him... Uh, uh, telling my grandmother every now and he'd, he'd you know he'd take a rest and maybe go on the couch and sleep and he said if you ever see me squirming trying to wake up wake me up because I have an idea and I need to get to my drawing table <laughs> so he was really driven and he was always always thinking about about uh, stories and, and storylines um, uh, so it, it was uh, it was a very rigorous um, uh, driven focused uh, life but he enjoyed it. He really enjoyed it. Again, it's it's not only sounds like he did, but the pictures I saw, my goodness, it he, he was at his drawing table in one of them, and he was quite young, so it was early in his career, and I thought this man just loves where he is and what he's doing. Well, you could see that just from day to day. I mean, just you um, can. I, I, I can believe it that that you saw it. I mean, this was not a posed picture. He was looking at the camera, but you know, it was not posed. There's no one who could pose that kind of a smile. Yep. Now yep. you answered my question with the fire engine. Um, whether or not you are involved in or have been involved in comics, illustrating anything associated with that part of the entertainment industry. Have you ever had an nope. opportunity to do that? No, that was I, I just never took an interest to uh, to drawing. Um, I was more the the math math physics guy and got into engineering. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but never. Yeah, he like I said, he tried to see if I'd be interested in doing it uh, without even asking me. You know, with that yeah. fire engine, yes. I thought that was a pretty neat idea. Um, but uh, no, that that didn't. Uh, didn't get me going in that direction at all. So, um, but, um, but like I'm I said, was quite... go ahead. I, I keep tripping over you. I'm so sorry. I just walk right into your That's word. Right. No problem. Um, 
for, for both of you, for Jeff and Tracy, I want to touch on the list of characters. I told Jeff before we got on the phone all together. And so I, I started counting. I just stopped counting. I mean, I don't think anybody can count that high in one evening with the number well, think- of characters that he created. I think Jeff has a pretty good number of how many uh, characters, better idea than I do. Um, yeah, he had um, he had to be a, a character. I mean, he had to put himself in the uh, limelight of that particular character he was working on. It's almost like mm-hmm. an act in a movie or something. If you're a, yeah. a good guy or a bad guy in a detective story, you have to become that person, and you really have to think like that, being a good actor. Well, here he had to be a lot of different actors. He had to be Dick, be Dick Tracy, then he had to be Flat Top, you know, be, be a mean guy, then be a, a law enforcement guy. And how he was able to change so quickly, it was, almost, it was, it was like a story writer in a way. Um, mm-hmm. It's amazing. But I, I think, um, Jeff, you, you probably can tell, tell a better idea of how many characters he actually created, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it, literally, it's 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 hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe th- approaching thousands of characters. Um, you know, uh, w- when you look at the strip, it's you know, there's there's uh, there's obviously the villains and then the heroes, the good guys. There's uh, um, and and you know, the the good guys are pretty consistent. It's the it's the villains and this this uh, you know pretty much endless coterie of. Uh, villains that um, you know th- that's what's drawing folks uh, to at that time pick up the newspaper right and uh, open up to the page where Dick Tracy is um, like Tracy said I think uh, one of the things that's fascinating is that these characters um, you know he, he not you know Dick Tracy is to, to him was very much a real person I mean it was it was a living and breathing uh, kind of thing for Chester Gould, but all these other characters, he had to um, he had to create them in in his head. He, um, you know, they're patterned after a lot. In some cases, some of them uh, certainly are patterned after um, you know real person personages, real people, um, or combinations mm-hmm. of of different um, attributes of real people, and his just endless mind, his, his endless creative mind his ability to be able to go from literally one story i mean from panel to panel but really one story to the next um i've encountered fans who have said you know uh later in his career i I met him and uh, you know i asked him about such and such a character and he just couldn't really offer much information later on because and if we think about it you know from ourselves we I can't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday. <laughs> so, um, but I, I think that I think that that you, when you're doing that and you're living it, and you're, it's such a constant. This creative process is such a constant, intuitive uh, thing that's going on inside of you. Um, you know, 24 hours a day, basically. I mean, you, you, he slept obviously, but <laughs> one wonders, you know. <laughs> Uh, if he wasn't, you know, uh, you know, still working on that, processing all that out in his subconscious while he was sleeping, because um, this is just a this is just a, a constant thing for him, and he couldn't recall, oftentimes could not recall the specific details about certain characters that he 
you know, many of them that, you know, you, we all know their names, Pruneface, Flattop. I mean, the big, some of the big ones he still recalled, um, but uh, at any given moment, he was, he was focused on now. He wasn't focused on where he had been. He was focused on what Tracy was investigating and, and looking at in the here and now. In that and moment. what he was going to be coming up with. This is, um, Tracy, you're telling me that he became these characters and would hop around, and of course, you're right, in movies, that's precisely what the actors have to do. You cannot read lines and pretend you're somebody. You have to be somebody. But some of these characters were absolutely grotesque. They were terrible well, people. And this wonderful person managed to get into the persona of these awful people. Did he, was he, was he able to surrender quickly his role? If he were doing something, a a character like Oily, who boiled his victims to death in pots of oil, if he were doing that character in the strip, could he stand up and instantly be back to his real person? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was my grandfather. He didn't need a transition. Was, no. That was, hey, this is just a character I'm doing. I got, you know, it's coming out of my mind, and now I'm back, and back I, I've got something else to do now. So, yeah, it would, uh, uh, but, you, you know, it's interesting, too, when you're talking about the characters a little bit more. Um, he did a tremendous amount of police technical research on how police procedures were done in arresting these bad guys. Mm-hmm. As well as, as um, well, he thought of what the criminals were going to try to do to take Tracy out. First of all, because that was their motive. Dick Tracy was a, you know, hampering their their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he he really he went he took criminology courses at uh, Northwestern University. He um, uh, went to the uh, I don't know the exact proper name for it. Jeff may know it better, but the uh, Chicago Crime Labs to find out how things are done there. Um, he had a, later in his drawing years, he had a gentleman by the name of Al Valanis, who was the first Chicago police artist, uh, work for him. And when I say police artist, it was someone that if someone saw a crime or saw somebody, they would go to Al Valanis and say, well, he looked like this, this, and this, and Al would try to draw that person. Mm-hmm. And he was the first, first one for the, for Chicago to be able to do that. But anyway. My grandfather got him on board as a technical advisor <clears throat> to make sure that what Tracy was doing when he was arresting a guy or what the police would do if they got fingerprints or this or how do they do this, um, he wanted to be technically correct. And if he wasn't technically cor- correct, boy, did he ever get letters saying, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. And he considered those guys his best fans because they were looking at the details and he wanted to be exactly right. I love this. What a great story. Do you know I'm up to that question? Mm. And you answered it before I asked it. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) My question is, storylines dealt with real crime issues. How did he stay on top of that? And you're telling me exactly how he did. Now, some of the storylines involved kids. When I say kids, I mean juvenile delinquents, um, kids who were victims of criminals or juvenile delinquents, did he ever use you as a resource because you were a young person within that age category to be aware of those things? I don't think so, no. Nope. Cross that one off my list. Yep. 
Okay. <laughs> Jeff, my question for you. Uh, yeah. Tracy just uh, mentioned something that made me think of what I have read. And, of course, everything on the Internet is true. So I have to ask you. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, one, one place I visited said that over the course of time, Dick Tracy, of course, had been injured many times. As, as, I mean, you cannot be a cop for that long without incurring an injury. But one of them said he had been shot in the shoulder 47 times. You are the technical person. Is that correct? I've never counted it. <laughs> he's been shot. He's he's been shot. I mean, innumerable times. He's been burned. He's been left for dead. He's been dragged behind a car. He's been uh, thrown in a hole. Um, he has. Uh, I mean, stabbed. He's and and I'm sure all of those, many of those things. You know, the more common, the stabbings, the shootings. Uh, all of that is is uh, multiple multiple times uh, that that's occurred. I mean, he's. In every given situation, I mean, this is Gould's formula that he worked out. He worked out so well, and mm-hmm. and, and it, you know, for for decades and decades, is uh, you know, uh, every day there's a new crime, and every day there's uh, you know, the, the justice is done, or the next day, or in a series of mm-hmm. days, justice is done, and then uh, you know, he brought Tracy, and this was his goal. He 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 plotted his strip. Not way ahead. It's not like he came up with the ending and then figured out how we were going to get there. He plotted the strip by the seat of his pants. He did not know today what was going to happen tomorrow. He did not know what was going to happen the day afterwards. Now, he would do it week to week. So, as Tracy mentioned, he'd he'd plot out a week at a time starting on Monday. He would have a bull session with uh, his creative team, and uh, they would, you know, come up with the next week's plot. But that's, mm-hmm. all they, that's all that was known is what was coming up in the next week that would be published about six, six weeks down the road, six to eight weeks down the road. Um, so, yeah, he, uh, oh. this, this was, yeah, and, and he, his goal was to put Tracy in a position that he could not get out of. And he, what he felt was, if I can't figure out, if I don't know how Tracy's going to get out of the situation, and certainly my readers aren't going to know how he's going to get out of the situation, and that is what's going to draw them to buy tomorrow's newspaper. All his goal was, he, he said this later in his career, I'm a newspaper man. That's, what I'm, that's my job is to sell newspapers. And my job this morning was to sell this morning's newspaper. Tomorrow my job is to sell tomorrow's newspaper. Amazing. I have... Tracy, Tracy mentioned that um, that his grandfather had two assistants. Tracy, you recall what their duties were? Were they? Were, well, were when they? when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. um, growing up, Rick Fletcher uh, was an artist that worked for my grandfather, and then my grandfather's brother Ray Gould worked for him. He did the lettering. Uh, Rick Fletcher was was a very talented artist in his own right. He had worked for Prince Valiant. Um, he would do the, uh, he wouldn't draw the characters, but he would draw the, um, uh, the behind-the-scenes things, you know, the officer holding a gun. I mean, just a tremendous artist. He would, he would actually, uh, there, was a, uh, there was an interview a number of, uh, year, quite a few years ago, but <clears throat> they uh, showed Rick holding a, um, I think it was a 357 in one hand at the drawing table, mm-hmm. and he was drawing it as he was looking at it. On 
on the comic strip. I mean, that type of an artist. Um, that was that was one of my that was my grandfather's background assistant, Rick Fletcher. Um, but my grandfather always did all the all the uh, characters, and then all of course figure all work, writing, yeah. and the figure work, and um, uh, then my uncle Ray would um, uh, he would uh, do the lettering, and then of course mm-hmm. on the Sunday pages uh, do the coloring in and all that. But um, uh, he had other assistants prior to that and Jeff may know them better than I do remember them better than I do um, in years past because <clears throat> I know when he started out it was just him and then he slowly acquired people to uh, to assist okay, I'm um, assuming what we were, were doing the Sunday plus it was it Monday through Friday Jeff or was the schedule like normally for Dick Tracy well, it, I'll, I'll explain is what I know, and Jeff okay. may be able to pick up better on, on it than I can. But okay. uh, he had the you know the five, six, six dailies. I mean Monday through uh, through Saturday, and then the whole Sunday Saturday page. Or Saturday, yeah. Uh, is there anything you pick up on that, uh, Jeff? Or yeah, so I mean he's uh, so when 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 Gould first started, um, like Tracy said, he started off on his own. There was oftentimes he was getting the last catching the last train out of Chicago. He he worked incredible hours. Uh, he at that time before it was before he was taking tra- the train down uh, to Chicago. He would um, uh, Tracy's mom uh, t- years ago told me stories about this. How he would get up at the crack of dawn and he would jump into his Cadillac and he'd race downtown Chicago. He'd blow, he would get out of, he'd, <laughs> he'd get out of Woodstock and, and, and be driving through these small towns, uh, you know, and, and just be tearing down before everyone else uh, got up so he could get, you know, get an early start. But he was doing that. He wasn't getting home until late at night. Uh, occasionally he'd stay downtown. Um, by, I think it was 1933, he hired his first assistant, um, Dick Moore's. Um, Dick Moore's, uh, was, uh, you know, an art student at the time. Um, and, uh, he did background work and stuff like that, um, for Chet. Uh, later on, he went on to, uh, he did it, uh, Gasoline Alley for many, many years, the comic strip Gasoline Alley, um, and, uh, had worked for Walt Disney. Um, after that, he had, um, uh, Russell Stamm, who, uh, was his next assistant later in the 30s, and he, he was with him for a couple of years. Uh, Stam went on um, in animation, but before that he created a comic strip called uh, The Invisible Scarlet O'Neill, um, which had some success as well. Um, and then uh, he hired a couple of uh, staff cartoonists uh, there at the Tribune, Jack Ryan um, and uh, another fellow by the name of Coleman Anderson, and they both assisted him during... Um, the middle forties, um, real well. Anderson last uh, uh, stuck around until the late fifties when Dick Loker, who uh, later took over the strip um, after Rick Fletcher passed away in nineteen eighty three, uh, he picked up as Chet's assistant briefly from uh, nineteen I think nineteen fifty eight until nineteen sixty one. Did the person who did the lettering along the way over the years contribute to the wording or was that Chester Gould's exclusively? Yeah, I mean, Chet, as I understand it, the creative process was um, was done on a team basis. I mean, obviously, Chet was the, you know, the, the leader of, of the pack, but um, uh, they plotted, they plotted 
this out on Mondays. They it they would be in the Tribune Tower, and uh, they would um, sketch out the week's panels um, as well as the the Sunday. And of course, the Sunday ran m- much um, much further ahead or, or much further out rather. Um, than the daily. So the Sunday page they might be crafting on a Monday morning isn't going to be published for 12 weeks, but the dailies that they're going to be working on the rest of the week in unison with that are going to be published six weeks later, six to eight weeks later. Um, so you can only imagine the challenges of doing that, but no, um, uh, they would, they would, you know, they, part of that process was roughing out what the, uh, what the balloons, what the wording, uh, the captions mm-hmm. would look like in the strip. Yeah. This is just amazing. This, this entire industry, when people read a comic strip, they say, oh, isn't that cute? I could do that. Hello. <laughs> they just don't realize. Well, you know, what... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, we live in an age where everything is instant and immediate, right? I can, I can uh, while we're sitting here on the phone, I can, you know, I, I can make my little cartoon and I can walk downstairs and I can scan it on my, my printer downstairs and I can upload it to my computer while I'm on the phone with you and I can post it online and there you have it. And it can be for worldwide universal consumption. But the way the process was done then and really uh, for many, many, many decades, um, uh, that the creative process was driven by the printing process. Yes. You know that Sunday. That Sunday needed to be said. Needed to be worked on. Uh, the plate for the Sunday needed to be worked on by, you know, the best engravers in the business. And that took time. Mm-hmm. And that took um, skill and and craftsmanship uh, that required more time than it took to do the dailies. And so that's why there was a longer lead time. Yes. You know. You know. Also, even in every single panel, it was almost like a stage set. If you look at all those individual panels that made up a daily or made up a Sunday page, all the work that went into just one panel, it's tremendous. And Mm -hmm. he used, and I can't think of the type of pen he used with his India ink, but I tried using the same type of pen he used, and, of course, it would get stuck, and there'd be a bunch of sprays of black India ink all over my (laughs) paper. Um, You needed the matches more than he did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. But yeah, if you, you think know, about it the uh, way Tracy's describing it too, if you think about it the way Tracy's describing it too, every panel that he did was a masterpiece. Forty six years, uh, three months and twenty one days of these panel by panel masterpieces that he's created. Mm-hmm. It's incredible how prolific a person is, an artist is in that. And people would and, look and at he, him and you He just didn't break stride. Did he nope. did he ever have a cold period where he said Wow, I'm really up against it this week. Not that I know of. There was one. Yeah, there was one occasion, and, and I wouldn't say he was, he, that was quite the way it worked out. But he, he was, he had Tracy in a bind, and he didn't know what to do. And uh, he, um, he actually drew his himself, his arm into the comic strip, and you know, like <laughs> scratching out and everything. And he submitted that. He did. He submitted it to the syndicate in New York and, yeah. uh, and, you know, Patterson, uh, his boss, he, he, nah, that's not going to fly. <laughs> so, you know, back to the drawing board for you, Gould. Uh, that is you know, really funny, but it, to, that yeah. was a, a strip driven problem as opposed to 
uh, writer's block or something personal that would have put the stops on him. It was actually the script no, I mean, uh, that had the problem. Yeah, I mean, of all the stories I've heard, um, I think in, by his own admission, Chester Gould's own admission, one of the darkest times in his life was when his wife, uh, when her gallbladder burst during World War II, and she had, they didn't know exactly what the issue was, and yeah. uh, but it was pretty serious, and uh, you know, he raced her to the hospital, and she was in a horrible pain, and uh, because of the war effort, they didn't have penicillin readily at, at hand. It was invented, and it was you know, uh, 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 there to, to for that purpose, but uh, there was a lot of shortages. It was being rationed, and uh, mm-hmm. he was able to get that. And even in the midst of this, you know, week-long drama where, uh, you know, he's living day by day. He and Jean are living day by day at her bedside. He still is. He's in in the midst of of that occurring. He's creating flat top, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, crafting his flat top story. It's. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I, I just don't know. I, I don't know how he how he did it either, because there was all the like like I explained before. There was so much research behind every story, technical research. Yeah. Um, it's one thing being able to to just draw something, but then to have everything technically correct, you have to you have to do that. Dig for that research and and know exactly technically what you're doing, and then be able to draw it. And then be able to write a story on top of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, how long did a how long did a story a storyline I'll, I'll call it typically last before he moved I, into another phase of Dick Tracy's work? Jeff, I think you, do you have an answer for that? I, yeah. I would be just kind of I, yeah, yeah. Mine's a little bit of a shot in the dark. I used to know better, but uh, I'd say eight to ten weeks maybe was an average. Well, I think that's, mm-hmm. say, that's yeah. fair to say. Um, yeah, I think Flat Top was his longest um, until later in um, in the middle '60s. He created a character, Mister Bribery, and Mister Bribery had a very he had the longest run in the strip, um, several months, and uh, uh, initially, and then came back again for uh, a few months uh, after mm-hmm. that. So he was the longest running of any of his characters. But yeah, typically I think eight to 10 weeks was, was pretty, pretty average for, uh, uh, for, for, you know, he didn't want to give the criminals that much, uh, that much time to get away with what they were getting away with. It was actually a criticism early in his career that he got, um, that the strip received was, you know, uh, our, our, you know, a, a newspaper publisher an editor actually of the editor of the Tulsa Tribune, one of, uh, you know, uh, an Oklahoma paper um, who had just taken on the strip uh, fired off a letter to uh, Captain Patterson in New York and, and said, uh, you know, uh, we're getting complaints here because your criminals, you know, and, and your Dick Tracy are, are you know, lasting so long. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it, they felt like they're, you know, they're, the kids, uh, the, the, the parents were getting upset because their kids were seeing this message that ju- justice is, is delayed. And uh, it was an early criticism. He took that to heart. And, uh, you know, so that, that kept him okay. on these criminals to bring them to justice a little bit sooner than, uh-huh. maybe than, than when he first started. Yeah, Tracy had oh. to be a better cop. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty good. I, you know, one character that uh, we're actually reading about in some of the letters my grandfather saved, which I don't know why he saved them, but it's uh, so good he did. Uh, there was a character called Flyface. 
and there's mm. criticism letters from readers, and it's almost funny. They'll say, how could you create a character called Flyface? I'm reading this stuff in the morning, eating my cereal. I can't even finish my <laughs> cereal. It's so disgusting. I mean, <laughs> it's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're falling off the chair laughing. And, and um, this, is what kept, this is what kept that strip going so strong with the Tribune um, because it was so different than any other comic strip. I mean, um, I'll, I'll swing over to the part where when he originally created plainclothes Tracy and Tracy was because he was a tracer, he traced down the bad guy and he was playing. Mm -hmm. So he didn't dress in police uniform and came to, uh, captain, uh, captain, uh, Colonel McCormick and captain Patterson and, um, presented it to him. Um, he said, you know, we've, we've got to go with something a lot smaller than plainclothes Tracy. Tracy. There's just too many letters there. Let's call him Bill, Bob, John. I tell you what, Let's call him Dick Tracy. That's, the, that's what they call him these days. And, and uh, he gave him a, a, a grandfather an idea of how to, how to start the strip where his um, future father-in-law would be gunned down and, and um, Tracy uh, would be there with his uh, fiancée. And, and uh, he told my grandfather, you take it from here. That's how we're going to set it up. You take it from here and run wow. with it. And, um, uh, but you know what? Let me back up a little bit so I can connect connect some of that stuff together so it makes more sure. sense there were he had he had came up came up to chicago uh when he was 21 years old and um uh let's see here let me get my story straight here but he came up it came up in 1921 and uh, thought he could get on on the chicago tribune nothing flat and um uh, that didn't happen it took uh from 1921 until uh, 1931 and submitting 61 different ideas to the Chicago Tribune over a period of, you know, that was 10 years. The, the 61st idea, like I said, was called Plain Clothes Tracy. The most different thing. He'd never submitted anything like that where people were getting shot. You'd see bullets and all this other stuff. And mm -hmm. it was something that wasn't funny. I mean, it was, funnies were supposed to be funny. And yeah. um, Patterson was such a, you know, tremendous guy that could, that could see that, hey, this is, this is going to work. You know, said, let's go with it. And the Tribune, when it first started, my grandfather was saying, he got so, they got so many letters saying, how could you have this in the Tribune? It's, it's not funny at all. Well, then, on the other side, you'd have newspapers around the country sending letters to the Chicago Tribune. How fast can we sign Dick Tracy up for our paper? We need it now. You know, so it, it took off like wildfire. And, um, and then, of course, uh, the spinoffs, such as... Uh, like you mentioned, uh, radio shows and uh, movies and everything else started to pop up early. It was such a tremendous uh, uh, change for the funny things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there was one character he had in the in the early '40s, early in the war, uh, Mrs. Pruneface, who was just gruesome, and he was just getting <laughs> savaged apparently by uh, fans. You know, the fan mail he was getting was just horrendous, and so. Uh, Captain Patterson would come to, uh, Captain Patterson ran the syndicate out of New York, out of the New York News Building, and he'd come to the Tribune Tower, he had an office in Tribune Tower, he'd come there every month. And uh, in this particular month that, that Chet was feeling this way, just being inundated in his um, monthly visit with Patterson, he, uh, you know, he said to him, you know, oh, I'm just getting savaged here, you know, what what do you suggest I do? And he said, uh, uh, what, what, what his response was is, um, 
some people are going to love you and some people are going to hate you. As long as they're reading Dick Tracy, you shouldn't let it get, get to you. You shouldn't let it bother you. You know, you should um, appreciate the ones that love you and, and love your work and, and appreciate the ones that don't love you because they're paying your bills regardless. They're paying our bills. <laughs> and he took that to heart. And it, it, I think that was, uh, you know, it gave him some peace of mind to run with that um, yeah. in the midst of it. I know that his employer is going to stick with him, you know, and make sure he stays in the guardrails regardless, you know, and he did. Yeah. When you're working for yourself, that must be a very scary thing and a wonderful thing to get reassured for it. Well, yeah, many cartoonists at that time, yeah, many cartoonists at that time were, were uh, uh, the stories, as uh, the stories go, is, yeah, they they kind of came up with every possible excuse uh, why their work wasn't turned in on time. And Chester Gould, um, uh, he he had his work turned in on time <laughs> every 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 week every week. Yeah. His boss was the clock. He had to, his boss was telling him, "Let's keep going." That was the clock. <laughs> Amazing. No I do wait. want to follow up with that with Tracy. I want to follow up with you on that particular aspect of it. But I heard. Walden's voice. Well, did you uh, have a question? Yeah, I was thinking during the Second World War. I'm imagining Dick Tracy did his effort for the war. Jeff, did he did he did he uh, take care of saboteurs and different things to 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 help with the war effort and in the comic strips? Yeah, World War Two is a unique a unique period for Chester Gould. He, you know, Dick Tracy obviously couldn't join the war effort. So a lot of other comic characters, the comic strip characters did. Obviously, Dick Tracy needed to stay home and focus on the home front. And uh, so Chester Gould did have him, uh, you know, uh, uh, taking taking up, uh, you know, some of that. Um, and uh, But there was an investigative aspect to the strip during the war. Um, Chet's employers, Colonel McCormick and... Uh, Joe Patterson of the news, uh, before the war, they were very much, um, America firsters as, as that's what they were called at the time, but they were, um, their, their editorial policy, both of the Chicago Tribune and the New York news, and really their whole organization was very much, um, uh, you know, looking at the home front and, and trying to avoid getting into an entanglement in the war that was going on in Europe. And uh, so they were, um, I, they called them isolationist at the time. Um, and so Gould fit in, uh, his own personal uh, feelings uh, fit in and uh, uh, very much similar, you know, very similarly with his employers. And, uh, and so a lot of the characters that you see during World War II are characters patterned after those individuals here in the U.S. Um, who he felt had, in some cases, gotten us into the war. Um, uh, you know, they felt, you know, no need to be drawn into it. Um, so you had characters like the Brow. Uh, you had characters like Pruneface. Pruneface, uh, you know, I think is a pretty, when you look at him visually, he resembles strongly uh, William Randolph Hearst, who was all for the war. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, the brow, um, the brow, very much uh, uh, appears to be patterned after Marshall Field, who ran. Um, who, that's a whole whole other story about Chicago journalism and competing newspapers and all of that. But Marshall Field was very um, uh, pro-war um, in Chicago, and had also just launched a brand new newspaper, um, and uh, uh, quite contrary to the editorial point of view of the Chicago Tribune, and so. 
there's definitely aspects of that during the war that, and that's, so, so that's kind of how that played in Dick Tracy and in Chester Gould's imagination. Um, mm-hmm. but, but at the same time, you know, he also did, he, he contributed to the war effort and, you know, uh, crafting war bond ads with Dick Tracy and stuff like that, uh, to fund the war bond drives. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, he, he, he came around enough to, you know, lend his hand in, once we were in the war, um, you know, lend Tracy's support in, in that. Mm-hmm. What the That's character really you mentioned, uh, Jeff, was the brow, and he was, he, he came into existence yeah. in 1944. He was a brutal, he was ahead of an enemy spy ring, and uh, he had uh, kind of like uh, short, short blonde hair, he had no ears, he had broken nose, and you know, just a handsome guy, deep pearls in his forehead, and uh, you know, from his from his from his underground hideout, uh, he would uh, he would radio United U.S. naval ship uh, troop movement to the enemy, and the violent deaths of some of these bad guys in Dick Tracy. He met his doom in a confrontation with uh, with Dick Tracy. Uh, they were up on a I don't know how many floors up in this big factory building, but Dick Tracy threw a heavy glass inkwell at him and it struck the brow on the forehead. Well, the brow was staggering backwards, and there happens to be a great big window behind the, um, the brow. Well, he falls out of the window. Well, as he's falling down, he gets impaled on a flagpole, flying an American flag in the courtyard below, and it shows him at the bottom of it. Uh, and the brow, you know, he's a, he's a foreign agent, a spy and all this, light impaled, a pole bearing the flag of the country that he, you know, was trying to, to harm. I mean, how, how appropriate, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, some of the, some of the, the violent uh, uh, things that would happen to the, to the bad guys, they'd create their own yeah. doom in a way. Um, they did. Yeah, that, that, that and when you look at it, yeah. Oh, I was, sorry. I was going to say that that particular scene um, draws on all, just that one particular scene draws on all sorts of things that were very, um, Joe Patterson, when he very briefly served in the U.S. Uh, in the Illinois State uh, House uh, down in Springfield, he was the only—I believe—he's the only uh, Illinois State representative to have thrown an inkwell at the Speaker of the Illinois State House. And uh, <laughs> so, so you see a little bit of reality even coming out, you know, uh, decades later in this. Um, you know, a little little bit of a political uh, Donny Brook again. If you consider uh, Marshall Keyes, sure. maybe as a, a bit of a, a pattern of that character, and then the actual, as you see this image of the brow fall. I mean, you don't see the body going and actually being impaled, but you know, he he draws the scene pretty well. But in the square in Woodstock, the town square, there was a similar honor roll honoring the 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 uh, uh, you know members of the community who had gone into the service and were serving and with a with a similar flagpole so i mean he's drawing from his own day-to-day life and you know the life of of others as he's patterning these you know pretty provocative <laughs> scenes in his yeah. strip <laughs> yeah if we had those strips those individual strips being published today the reaction would be very different. Yeah, yep. It was a different and look time. what we would have lost. Uh, yeah. when, when you think about the situations that some of these bad guys, and boy, were they bad guys, oh, got yeah, themselves into and how 
the resolutions of these really bad guy things happened, they were they were the height of violence. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like things haven't changed. <laughs> I mean, no, it's the true. same things that they're yeah, doing now, it, you know, you see it in yeah, the news it's today. It's coming up almost. in a different pot of stew, but it's all there. You're right. Yeah. Right. Okay, for our listeners, it is May 28th, 2016. We are talking with Tracy O'Connell, who is grandson of Chester Gould, who created, wrote, and drew Dick Tracy from 1931 to 1977. And we are also talking with Jeff Kirsten, who is president of the board of directors of the Dick Tracy Museum which is now an online source for you to get all sorts of great Dick Tracy information. And you can find that at DickTracyMuseum.com. We are also live on this particular day, so we can take phone calls from our listeners. Give us a call with some questions, some comments, your favorite Dick Tracy strip, your most memorable character, just anything you want to talk about. You can find us at 714-544. Now, before I get to the radio, Tracy, I want to go back to something that Jeff said uh, a little bit ago about his work schedule, Chester Gould's work schedule and the Cadillac and going through small towns. That makes me want to ask how he balanced his personal life with his work life. Well, um, he, he knew when he had to get up from the drawing board and uh, uh, be with his daughter and his wife and, um, and have, have a, uh, a happy family. Um, mm-hmm. he, was able, he was able to balance it. There was never uh, any difficulty. He was a genius. I don't know how he, he did what he did and balanced so many things uh, all at once, but he did it. He did it. And, um, uh, Including it incredible. your grandmother's yeah, an incredible man. Yeah, in fact, when he had that, when she had that surgery, like Jeff mm-hmm. said, he got she got penicillin. Well, they didn't know people could be allergic to penicillin. She was allergic oh to penicillin, and she almost died. And uh, luckily, she yeah. came through without any problem. But uh, yeah. it was a new product out there, and and, and all. But um, uh, you know, there, could I bring up another subject, perhaps? That, oh, of um, course. You, you just keep going. This is all wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, I was just going to, uh, people may wonder, like, how, how did Chester Gould ever get interested in even drawing Dick Tracy? I mean, why would anyone do that? And, and back, back, in the, back at that time when he was thinking of becoming a cartoonist, his folks told him that, you know, cartoonist, I broke, you know, you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or somebody like that. But he, could, he, he continued. But what, what the spark was that got him interested in drawing, when he was six years old, he got a box of crayons, and Corella crayons just had come out, and there were probably six or seven different colors, but mm-hmm. that was the spark, and he took to drawing from that. Um, he took a interest in the local newspapers in town, and and um, he would trace the comics and add his own words to the text. And uh, as he got older, uh, down there living in, in Pawnee, Oklahoma, he found that newspapers with the best comics happened to be in the Tr- Chicago Tribune. And um, he, uh, he, even at that early age, he said, I want to work for the Chicago Tribune. Well, uh, there was a lot that had to happen before that ever started, but 
um, he would he entered at the age of 15. He entered a cartoon te- uh, cartoon contest in the uh, mm-hmm. American magazine, and he won first prize for that. And it kind of kept his his thoughts that hey, I, I'm I'm going the right direction here. Um, his interest in you know in comics and and in, in drawing you know continued through you know, grade school and high school and and um, then into college and. Um, yeah, he'd, he'd be painting. He'd paint signs and on barns and railroad cars, and he'd do character <laughs> drawings. And uh, he, he illustrated yearbooks for for high school and for college. Um, and he did he did um, editorial cartoons for the local papers down there, uh, for the Tulsa paper. But you know, the bottom line, he he was he was kind of making a name for himself. Just even if it wasn't national, it was just kind of a local. But he was um, mm-hmm. he was making a name for himself. Um, and the interesting thing too, when he went to college, he attended Oklahoma A and M in Stillwater, Oklahoma. He majored in commerce and marketing, and, and um, the reason being, he felt that uh, he's going to need a business background because he is going to be successful in cartooning. He was that confident that he was going to make a, you know, he was going to make a success of it. Wow. Well, uh, how he got to Chicago, um, he had been working for the Daily Oklahoman when he was in college, and the editor said, uh, you know, you ought to pursue your dreams and, and go to Chicago. That was a newspaper mecca. There were so many papers up in Chicago. Television didn't exist. Radio was in its, in its infancy. Newspapers were king. And so with $50 in his pocket, he uh, went up to Chicago. And he was 21 years old going up there. No, there was no planes, you know, nothing like that, just a train. And um, he rented a, a room at the YMCA. It was near uh, Northwestern University. And um, he um, registered for night school to continue his uh, business education at Northwestern, which he did finish. He did get a degree there in business and marketing from Northwestern in uh, 1923. Um, and um, uh, But in between classes, um, he would... Uh, he would work for the newspaper, different newspapers in Chicago, and he turned out that he worked for every single newspaper in Chicago. <laughs> um, and, and also, uh, how he he met his wife, future wife, up up in in, uh, in uh, Chicago. Um, he uh, he had a friend, a friend of his, ra- arranged for a um, a blind date with with a girl <laughs> by the name of Edna Gog. And uh, in the beginning, my grandmother, her name was Edna. She wasn't interested in my grandfather at all, and she figured, well, for dinner, <laughs> that's kind of funny. She ordered the most expensive item on the menu, which happened to be lobster. And, of course, she oh, thought geez. that, you know, this, this will discourage him from ever calling me again. Well, you know, my grandfather said, this girl is for me, you know. <laughs> well, they, they, married in, they married in 1926, and um, they uh, moved to uh, Wilmette. And, uh, and then later in 1927, my mom was born. But... Uh, but um, uh, through all, all this steady working and, and all the different newspapers, he was still submitting different cartoon ideas to the Chicago Tribune. And um, uh, like I said, it wasn't until the 61st idea came up that um, it paid. It paid off. Uh, and one, one thing that was kind of neat during all these, these 10 years of rejection letters from the Tribune, Captain Patterson put a note in a number of the letters, and just and just said that one of these days you're going to hit it. Wow. I mean, what what encouragement mm-hmm. for yeah. someone struggling? Yeah. 
and you know it was just um, well go ahead that's very nice we have a caller and uh, Robert from Washington you're on with Tracy and Jeff welcome hello there Tracy and and Joe and I uh, I have a question about I've, I've well I've been I've to tell you I've been a Dick Tracy fan for a number of years. I began collecting uh, those uh, reprints of all of the Dick Tracy comic strips uh, in those coffee table sized books put out by IDW Publishing, and uh, I also have the complete series of the cartoons in the '60s that were done. Um, and th- that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about was that cartoon series from the 60s. It was where Everett Sloan did the voice of Dick Tracy, and he had all these detectives like Hemlock Holmes and uh, Go, Go, Gomez and all those other guys. And it was just where these people, where Dick Tracy would call out these people to go catch the bad guys, and Dick Tracy would show up at the end, and then he'd also give a, a Crime Stoppers tip and everything like that. And I was curious what Chester Gould thought of that or what the genesis of that was. It was so different because Dick Tracy wasn't the one catching the bad guys. He would leave the work to all these other agents and then come in at the end and say, well done, agent, and everything. And I just wanted to know if any if any of you knew the origin of how that series got started and what Chester Gould thought of it. Did he object to Dick Tracy having a backseat role in those cartoons, and can you tell us a little bit more about those cartoons, please? Uh, thank you. Well, Jeff, sure, I'm gonna sure. Thanks. Turn it over to you. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Thanks, Robert. No, that's a great question. Um, yeah, Tracy. Uh, so the license for television use of Dick Tracy, um, it, it lapsed. Um, in uh, 1959, uh, late uh, late summer of 1959, and uh, um, the syndicate owned the rights. The syndicate re- retained the rights to television appearances of Dick Tracy, and uh, so it was at their discretion to do whatever whatever they wished with uh, Dick Tracy, the character on television. Um, earlier in the 50s, um, some of you might know there was a um, briefly a television show. And uh, it was 39 different episodes of, uh, of Dick Tracy. It was, uh, it was made for a general audience. Um, it was, I don't know, looking back at it, it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it looks more, to me, to my eyes, it looks more like for, for an adult audience, pretty serious um, uh, thing. But the uh, Chet's experience with uh, the syndicate in, in the midst of that um, treatment of Tracy on television went very, very poorly and uh, because Chet was not really involved in it and at, in some point um, learned about different uses of Tracy and, and uh, Chet didn't like that, that treatment of Dick Tracy on television, that, that TV show with Ralph Bird from, the, from 1950 to 51. He didn't like that at all. And, uh, and he, told his, he told his bosses that <laughs> he didn't like it and uh, he was really pretty frank about it, uh, uh, honestly. Um, so when in the late fifties this opportunity came about, uh, there was really um, uh, one outfit, um, uh, Westworld, um, who had just innovated uh, a new animation technique. They pitched a Tracy program to the syndicate, 
And it just so happened that Chester Gould was in transition looking for a new um, agent, uh, someone to help him uh, merchandising the strip, merchandising Dick Tracy, which he had. He Chester Gould retained all the rights to merchandising the character. Um, uh, and so he was looking for new representation, and it worked out that um, the one of his public relations advisors was friendly with this fellow by the name of Hank, Sa- Hank Saperstein, uh, who was uh, in Beverly Hills, California. Was um, He represented Elvis Presley. He represented Debbie Reynolds. He represented the Lone Ranger. He represented the Three Stooges. He was very successful and um, as a merchandiser. Um, and uh, so this public relations um, advisor to Gould was heading out to L.A. Uh, and Chet mentioned that he was looking for new representation. This guy was heading out to L.A. He says, hey, I'll look up my friend Hank and we'll see where that goes. Well, uh, Hank Saperstein grew up in Chicago. His father owned movie theaters. And uh, as it turned out, as, as Chet got to know Hank, uh, you know, Hank, learned uh that chester gould's first job one of his first jobs was working in Pawnee, oklahoma and his uncle bob's movie theaters and so they kind of hit it off really really well uh at the outset and um anyway at the same time while um chet and hank are are hitting it off pretty well uh to explore merchandising opportunities and have hank represent him in that uh, Saperstein, um, was working with UPA, um, United, uh, United Productions of America, uh, that animation studio, um, uh, on, uh, he also represented Mr. Magoo, the character Mr. Magoo. And, um, he was working with the, um, owners of the studio on Mr. Magoo and, uh, pitched in the same timing, uh, early, I guess it was April of 1960, he pitched, um, the idea of doing a Dick Tracy animated series to UPA, well, or, or rather to the syndicate, to uh, to the Chicago Tribune, New York News Syndicate. Well, given um, <laughs> given the way things went down between Chet and the syndicate with the prior television rights, they were quick to the president of the syndicate, Richard Clark, was really quick to get um, to get you know rope Chet into that and. Uh, so they started to explore that, and uh, as it worked out with uh, on the Mr. Magoo angle, um, the studio was struggling financially, and uh, so Hank Saperstein got in uh, touch with a friend of his who uh, also a marketer out of Chicago, and they bought the studio outright in uh, July, the end of June, rather, of 1960, and they decided to produce the series themselves, um, and that's kind of the way that UPA started. Uh, Chester Gould liked liked it um he he was involved creative not not creatively he didn't you know he had no uh part in 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 the patterning of of how the cartoon series was was plotted but uh it was right up his his line in terms of his sense of humor because uh, it, it was it was a funny take as you know um kind of a keystone cops kind of a thing but you know <laughs> tracy throughout that tracy throughout that whole series it, as, as robert said he's He's kind of behind the scenes. Well, he plays it straight. And I think uh, that was another thing that Chet liked about it is that, you know, it didn't lower Tracy down to the level of these these Keystone Cops types, type characters. But in the end, at, every, at the end of every episode, um, you know, the, the villain gets, gets his just, you know, get, is brought to justice. And uh, uh, somehow the cops have, 
have accomplished that and and at Dick Tracy's you know guidance and direction and and it all works out and and Chet thought it was very funny and uh, um, was optimistic that that would be financially rewarding uh, for the syndicate for himself for uh, for Hank. So. Mm. Well, I, I was just I was just wondering you know um, I'm glad that Chet liked it because it like like you say it it was a little bit ridiculous with all the assistance he <laughs> he had and everything and how funny they would be and and everything like that so that was i mean uh i'm i wonder who who came up with the names like hemlock holmes and and hippo calorie and all the names of the agents i would did i don't suppose chet had any creative control over that but he yeah he didn't he he uh, he took a back seat that was all that was all Hank Saperstein's creative team at UPA who crafted all of all of those characters and uh um you know as you recall i'm sure robert there were some there were some, you know uh there were some some of the, the villains from the strip did make some appearances oh, oh, yeah. faces in their oh, itchy yeah. and, oh, and oodles and bbi eyes and bbi uh, eyes and yeah, yeah. But yeah, these other characters were uh, were all creations of the studio, and uh, they had every he had uh, free reign to uh, incorporate some of uh, the strips characters, and and you know Chet saw that as an opportunity to cross promote, right? I mean, this is kind of like we've <laughs> yeah. been alluding to without really getting into it, Patricia. I know you brought this up at the outset. This idea of crossing mediums. I mean, this is part of the genius of of how Tracy is has endured for eighty five nearly eighty five years is. Uh, it crosses genres, it crosses media, and does so successfully. And because of the success of crossing from one media to the other, it reinforces the success of uh, of Tracy and the other media. You know, and so it's uh, self reinforcing uh, how this how this is perpetuated for so long and so successfully. Well, I've enjoyed the conversation so far, and I'm going to get off here and let Patricia get back to what I'm sure is a voluminous list of questions. So it's been nice talking to you guys, and I'll be calling. Be calling. Thank you, Robert and Patricia, and other and other in uh, weeks to come. Uh, thanks a lot. You Have a good evening, now. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Too bad Chuck didn't patent the two-way witch watch, huh? That would have been a good Well, we're going to talk about that as well. I mean, I didn't miss anything here. Now, um, Tracy, I had an extra question for you in here. Hold on, okay. hold on. Okay, I'll come across it in a minute, but I, I didn't. <laughs> it's like, oh, Tracy, oh, yeah. Oh, it was for Jeff, not well, for Tracy. Well, we got uh, call. But... We t- Hello, call. You're on with Tracy, Jeff, Patricia, and you're truly. John in Maryland. Hi, John. Hi, John. Hi, John. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Hi, uh, Good. You know, I've been around those in the many years to watch reading that comic strip. I, I bet you remember Dick Tracy during the war, don't you, John? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. But that was, my question is, you know, when I read the, we call them the funny papers, and we had all these other you're, you're talking about uh, people calling up and wanting to have the strip appear in their paper. And uh, mm-hmm. who got them? You know, is the, was the Dick Tracy strip worth more than Gandhi with Dick Young? Or was it worth more than Little Admiral without Cap? 
I mean, was one script. I knew there there was a script called Henry. There was no dialogue. It was just pictures. Situation mm-hmm. and the little king, no dialogue. I mean, was that mm-hmm. first as much as a, a, a script by Dick Tracy? I mean, Dick Tracy would be worth a lot more. It would sell more papers than The Little King or things like that. Great question. Yeah, it was. Pri- I mean, the strip was priced. Um, it was. It's, it's complicated because the way that the syndicate ran that and sold the strip, they sold it by markets, and so you could only run the strip in so many newspapers in a geographic region. So if I, you know, own a newspaper in, uh, let's say, Seattle, um, you know, and I, uh, another newspaper editor wants to run it 100 miles away, uh, my Seattle, because I got the, you know, because I, uh, I have it running in my Seattle paper, the smaller newspaper, you know, 100 miles away might not get the opportunity to even purchase it and run it in their paper at any cost. So it was very competitive the way that they, um, the way that the syndicate handled the selling of the comic strip, um, at that time. And it's, you know, it, to, to, to guys like Chet and to, you know, his agent and, and, uh, to the creative, you know, the creators of all these comic strips, a lot of those guys are like, you know, that, that just that, that approach to doing it, they saw that as, um, perhaps a more of a, a limitation um, and cutting into the opportunity of growing their strip um, because of the way that they, the syndicate, the, the business side, handled things. Could, could, for example, I know it's done in radio today, could the syndicate say, well, we know you want Dick Tracy, but you must carry, you must buy so-and-so to go with Dick Tracy. Would they, would they leverage Dick Tracy? In some cases, yeah, I mean, sure, he would. They would package it. I uh-huh. mean, uh, and, and Tracy, of all the Tribune strips, um, you know, Orphan Annie and Tracy by far were the two most popular strips, financially lucrative strips for the uh, properties for the for the Chicago Tribune New York News Syndicate in its heyday. Um, uh, not to say, not to take anything away from any of the other strips, they were all great strips and, and did well in their own right. But in terms of, you know, from a business standpoint, uh, Little Orphan Annie and, and Dick Tracy were, were by far the most lucrative properties that the, the syndicate um, owned and operated. Yeah. Did the cartoons influence the sales of newspapers so significantly? Absolutely. I mean, think about how uh, Sunday, how Sunday newspapers were sold. Um, well, the twenties, the teens, the twenties, the thirties, and uh, the forties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think into the into the fifties, the Sunday paper was always. Uh, and, and I, gosh, I mean, I, I can't even say it, it ended there. I, re- I mean, I'm a Chicago in, uh, you know, I live in Chicago, but I live in the Chicago area, and I remember as a kid. Uh, when the Chicago Tribune showed up on Sunday morning, the comic strips were on the outside of the paper. I mean, this is <laughs> into the 1980s. This is how how the paper was sold. Is people bought it, and the, the the I can speak at least about the Sunday comics. The Sunday comics, uh, a, a big draw for the Sunday comics was, uh, you know, ki- children wanting to read. To re- or the Sunday paper was the kids wanting to read the Sunday comics. Uh, mm-hmm. That routine was so deeply rooted after decades um you know and then you know the kids want to read it well you know, mom and dad want to read it too obviously <laughs> so uh, yeah. you betcha it sold um it sold and and chester gould specifically designed uh dick loker tells of uh, how 
uh, even when he was doing the strip, one of the, the things he said that he, that, that Chet taught him, uh, that was very, um, uh, carefully crafted was how much black space, how much black India ink appears in the panels of the strip, because what Chet wanted was when somebody opens up, you know, eventually in the sixties, they, back in the day, they used to have a strip to, you know, the, the comic strips, the daily comic strips appeared in different places within the newspaper. It isn't like mm-hmm. today where they're all ag- aggregated in on mm-hmm. one page or one or two pages. Um, but Chet specifically wanted, once we got into the sixties and they start, you know, newspaper started economizing and, and aggregating them to a page, Chet wanted their eyes to immediately be drawn to Dick Tracy. And so he wanted to make sure that graphically sitting on a page with uh, surrounded by a whole bunch of his competitors, the, the strip that was going to pop out and they were going to go to first, just visually when they look at that aggregated page was going to be Dick Tracy. So even late in, in, in his own career, um, you know, he, he saw it as salesmanship. It was salesmanship, even in how he crafted his panel. So there was enough India ink, compared to his competitors that would draw their eye to Dick Tracy on the page yeah. before it drew them to peanuts, to peanuts or to, you know, Beetle Bailey or, or, or whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a direct line to the commerce and marketing programs. Absolutely. He, he was never on wow. one page. He was the head of Puck the Comic Weekly. I'm sorry? Are you, are you familiar with that, Puck Comic Weekly? Was his name? Comic Weekly, sure. That was uh, Hearst's, uh, Hearst's comic uh, comic yeah. magazine. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, see, a lot of people that I knew, we had two local newspapers, and each one ran different comics. And, would, yeah. and I'll tell you how powerful it was, the comic section, that people would buy both newspapers just to get uh, to different comics. Yeah. I, I bet they did. We had our own local paper and the, and the Hearst paper, and we bought both. But they weren't they weren't that expensive. Uh, I was uh, just I was just thinking New York wasn't sick, New York having sick daily papers or something, Patricia. I mean, it was, <laughs> oh, it was, it was huge. Yeah. The market was huge out there. Yeah, and so all of them probably ran cartoon. I mean, it probably the heyday. I mean, Sunday in the new paper business probably make made a break the, the paper business because uh, people got just probably just for the strips. Yeah, the New York New York uh, Times uh, significantly. New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, two papers that have never run comic strips, and uh, to their detriment, I bet you they'd be a lot more successful had they. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. But then so, things like the Daily Mirror went down, and gosh, what else? I can't remember. Several other newspapers tanked, and they they all had comic strips. But clearly, from what you're telling us, they competed for specific comics. If one well, had by them, that time it was the, the syndicate. Yeah, was the, it was. Yeah, well, it was the syndicate. So, um, so uh, you know, the Chicago Tribune and the New York News, and of course, this applied like like you're saying about Hearst's uh, papers. Hearst. First, uh, part of Hearst's operation, his organization was King Features Syndicate, very large, still mm-hmm. to this day, very large um, features syndicate, um, you know, syndicating features. Um, and uh, Chicago Tribune, uh, similarly, Chicago Tribune, New York News, it was the Chicago Tribune, the New York News, the L.A. Times, um, there was a Washington Herald uh, for many years, um, 
and, and, and so, you know, naturally those papers, um, you know, ran mostly their own, you know, Chicago Tribune, New York News Syndicate material. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, you're, you're uh, outside of Hearst owned papers or Tribune or New York, you know, Tribune organization papers. Um, these other publishers, they were looking, they were equal opportunity. They were looking to purchase these strips from all these different syndicates because there were certainly, you know, United Features Syndicate. There's a number of different syndicates out there um, that, that, that syndicate these different comic strips and other features that we see and read yeah. in the newspapers at the time and still do to this day. Um, and so you're right. It's, it was a very competitive business. And so, yeah, a newspaper in, you know, let's say, uh, you know, Peoria, Illinois, or uh, in, you know, I don't know, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, you know, as an editor, you have to know your customer, right? And know what's going to uh, sell your paper, what combination of features, including comic strips, is going to sell your paper and ideally outsell, you know, the newspaper across town. Oftentimes, Into the into the sixties, there was you know larger cities or or moderately sized cities had a morning paper and an afternoon paper. Well, you know at a certain point, you know it, it, that 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 can be competitive just in the features themselves that appear in the different papers. What about the Thundercats? You had um, Fearless Fosdick. You remember that? Sure, and Lil Abner. Yeah, it was a satire on Dick Tracy. Absolutely. He yeah. patterned after uh, uh, Chester Gould's strip. Even the character. Yeah, he, he actually had a character in there called, uh, the, <laughs> called Lester Gooch, who yeah. he patterned after Chester Gould. And uh, he drew Fearless Fosdick oftentimes out of uh, his cell block in an insane asylum, <laughs> as I recall. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you, John. They were great questions. Okay. Um, All right, we'll talk you. to you later, I hope. No, it's, it's past my bedtime. <laughs> oh, it's past midnight. That's right. <laughs> Good Thanks, night, John. John. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye. You guys give us a okay. call. Our number is 714 2071. We're not going to keep Jeff and Tracy all night, so if you got a question... Yes, we are. Uh, well, <laughs> we're going to renegotiate. I'm two-thirds I've got, I've got one, one, Jeff, one other the, item. The comment or question was for you. Robert mentioned the books with the comic strips that are working, and you're up to 1963, so I'm, I promise we will not leave until you finish talking about the books and how people can get them. But I think Tracy got more information. Absolutely. Go ahead, Tracy. Well, no, let, let's. Uh, I mean, we were we touched on that. Jeff, if you want to go ahead with that, that would be that'd be great. I was just going to add something on here, tag on some Crime Stopper information. But um, you you mentioned about those books. Why? Why not, Jeff? Why don't you go ahead? Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, we uh, in two thousand and uh, so numerous attempts have been made over the years to. Um, reprint the comic strip Dick Tracy. Um, the first effort that actually completed it uh, was the Dick Tracy fan club. Um, and that was all done, but through subscription uh, back throughout the nineties and uh, uh, the first decade um, uh, of, of this century. And um, 
there was uh, yeah, IDW. Uh, they published comics, comic books mostly. Um, they uh, w- one of their um, what the publisher of, of uh, IDW um, took an interest in was a big Dick Tracy fan and uh, began. I think it was in 2006 or 2007 uh, began issuing um, reprinted editions about a year and a half to two years um, of the strip and. Uh, they hired the Library of American Comics um, uh, in 2009 to reformat and re-envision, recast uh, that series. Um, following their introduction, also through IDW, of reprinting Terry and the Pirates, which was uh, by Milton Kniff, which is a, just a tremendous, tremendous comic strip uh, from the 30s and 40s, also by the Chicago Tribune, New York News Syndicate. And um, the... Uh, and, and so by expanding, um, you know, as uh, Robert had mentioned, they, they're, they're pretty good-sized books. Um, they in, uh, reached out to, uh, to us at the museum, and uh, I got the invitation to start contributing to that series. And um, it's my privilege to join Max Collins, Max Allen Collins, who used to uh, write. He took over for Chester Gould writing the Dick Tracy comic strip in 1977, and uh, wrote that strip into the early 1990s. Um, he also contributes essays, and uh, it's just been a thrill to, you know, get this in a in a much. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 just the for, from a format standpoint, uh, we're we're working at trying to present the best quality material that we can scare up uh, coast to coast because. Uh, so many news, so many different newspapers published the strip and published it differently that uh, it's not easy to obtain a consistent run in the same format, the same uh, size, and uh, consistently. But that's uh, that's been our mission, and uh, like you mentioned, Patricia, we're up to 1963, I believe, and uh, we're going to take this all the way to uh, December 25th, 1977, and perhaps beyond. Yeah. And maybe beyond. Now, Jeff, when we were talking before we got on the air, you mentioned that you are also doing biographical work that marries up with the dates and times that an individual book covers. Would you give us a bit of insight on that one as well? Yeah, so the essays that... uh uh, when when I got the invitation from Dean Mullaney to uh, begin contributing to uh, these reprints, uh, you know, he basically said, "How do you want to do this? Do you want to, you know?" I and, and I told him, "I said I'm not a writer. I, I got the wrong guy. This is not. <laughs> this isn't. Uh, <laughs> I need to reach out and find somebody else to do this because I, I don't write. You know, it's not what my my background or my my gifting is." And uh, he said, "No, I think you you need to do this." And so uh, I went along with the program for a, <laughs> of the first volume, and we kind of threw some things together, some stuff that I'd written in college and um, about Chester Gould, because I've been, I've, I've, been, uh, I've been at this, um, involved in, in uh, researching, and um, really, per- you know, the work that we do at the museum is perpetuating Chester Gould's work and his legacy, his life. Um, and uh, so I decided to that the appropriate way would be to, be looking at chunks, these chunks of time that we're reprinting the strip and try to piece together the things that were going on in Chester Gould's life and, and take kind of a biographical approach in doing so. 
in the midst of that, I think it was by the second or third volume, maybe fourth volume. Cause I've been reading, you know, I've been reading this stuff, like I said, since I was a teenager. Um, but I'd never looked at it this way and I never really dug into Chester Gould's life, like on a daily basis, you know, like what was going on in this month of his life or, you know, in this year of his life, uh, in great detail. And, uh, as I was reading the strips that we were going to be reprinting in the volume I was writing an essay for, I began seeing tremendous parallels as well in the research as I was looking at the newspapers that were reporting the news. I was seeing echoes of that appearing in the comic strip. And so what I discovered in this was that, you know, the comic strip is a combination of of chat and a combination of the front page headlines and Boy, that's a, uh, that's, a fun, that's a fun thing to go through, Jeff. I bet you really are learning a lot <laughs> doing that, going, going through that, through U.S. history that It's way. incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's a lot of things that, you know, I've discovered. Um, eventually in the 50s, Chester Gould actually sat on the editorial board of the Chicago Tribune. I, I don't know as though there's any other cartoonist of our, our many, you know, uh, you know, uh, century of, or more than a century of, of cartoonists who who have gotten to that place, you know, where you actually sit on the editorial board of uh, one of the newspapers, uh, your, your flagship newspaper for your strip. But he sat um, he sat on the editorial board of the Chicago Tribune. And you know, when you when you are at that level in journalism or in any form of media today, you know, maybe uh, we'd, we'd see that similarly um, or a large media organization. You have a view of world events and the news and access to an insight to information that probably goes well beyond that what you act, what you and I actually read and consume day to day in the news and in what's published in the newspaper. And so he had this bird's eye view at later in his career um, to be able to incorporate much of that in the crafting of his strip. And, and so I, I, I find that there's, in some cases, some of these historical events like you're describing, Walden, where, but there's insights that weren't so obvious when we were studying them, let's say, in U.S. history class, you right. know, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and so that I found is just absolutely fascinating and um, just I, like Tracy has said numerous times here, his grandfather was a genius. I mean, he uh, creatively, he was a genius. I, I don't know as though there's another word I, that d- does it justice than that. Yeah. Well, Agreed. Jeff, in, in the work you've done with those books too, you're you're show, you're seeing things that we, our our family, didn't see at all. And wow, it was right in front of us. I mean, some of the some of the uh, the things that you're seeking out and seeing from from your writings, it's it's amazing and. Uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a genius being able to, you know, juggle so many different things at the same time and uh, uh, and all that. Yeah, just being able to look at the world and craft an alternative, you know, imaginatively re- recast and recraft what you see in the world um, in a different in a different light in a very creative way. Um, and I think in a very positive way, um, you know, I know Tracy's going to talk about this, but um, this issue of juvenile delinquency 
has uh, is a theme that has run through the strip practically from the beginning, and uh, something that was very very close to Chester Gould's heart. And so he he used his gifting for the benefit of law enforcement nationally for them to you know be elevated from where they stood or where they sank because they were in a very low place in our culture. Um, you know, throughout the 20s, late 20s and early 30s, certainly here in Chicago, but I think elsewhere here in the United States. And, um, you know, he did tremendous, uh, his work on Dick Tracy did, uh, did, did tremendously uh, in elevating the view of, of the role of a policeman in American society, not even societally, but in our community, you know. They're shepherds in our community, and, and that's what we see in Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy's walking down the street, and he knows the people in his neighborhood. He knows their names. Um, and they come to him. They trust him. They, they know him. And, uh, um, yeah, we've had it's pretty we had, incredible. Uh, we've I had never people thought of it in those fact. terms. We went, we went through great periods in our history where police officers were viewed you mentioned the Keystone Cops before. It certainly wasn't that bad, but they did not command the respect that a law enforcement officer was entitled to. And that was just a perception on the part of the people they were hired to protect. And I never thought about it in the terms that you just described, how influential Chester Gould was in terms of shaping people's attitudes. Yeah, I mean, also really go back to the... Go ahead, Tracy. Sorry. Oh, and also, the, the main thing, crime doesn't pay. That was the bottom line in Dick yeah. Tracy. Mm-hmm. Um, but go ahead, Joe. Was, was there a reason why he created Junior? Was that the, that way he could connect to the kids that way to, with Junior? Was there you, a, a purpose behind Junior? Yeah, you, you, you bet. I mean, so if you look back and you really care to, to learn, to dig into it, um, Chicago in the 1920s, um, you know, uh, people, the Chicago, by, by the admission of the chief of detectives of the Chicago police department in a weak moment, uh, with a member of the press suggested that more than 50% of the members of the Chicago police department were either themselves involved in the racketeering that was going on in the city of Chicago at that time, Capone and and his competitors or themselves on the take they were just looking the other way and taking the payoff that was being offered to them to look the other way and let them operate and sat really satisfy the demand of the public. So in this case, in, in the environment that Chester Gould casts plainclothes Tracy, um, you know, uh, <laughs> law enforcement in, at least in, in his, his, in his world, um, they were, they were not doing, they're not, conducting justice, not certainly the way that Chester Goulds was raised and believed in his heart that mm-hmm. justice was to be meted out um, in, in, in order for society to operate, um, yeah. you know, in, in uh, you know, uh, appropriately for everybody, you know, for the community. He's benefit. Well, Dick and, Tracy uh, was created to be an uncorruptible cop, and that's what he represented, and uh, he, he re- he required the respect of the public because he was straight, straight down the, straight, straight line. There was no. He was a straight arrow. 
It yes, still is. There there. Of course, you know, we're, still we're talking in past tense because yeah. we're talking about Chester Gould, but the comic strip is still running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and poor yep. Tess, you know, she's got on? this straight arrow to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she probably never laughs. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, one thing that Tess uh, has been so patient. One thing we did touch on, too, about, you know, getting, uh, noting kids and stuff in the comic strip, uh, mm-hmm. my grandfather created Crime Stoppers in the comic strip back in 1947, and it, 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 it began in the strip. It was like a detective club that was, um, it was started by uh, Junior. It was mm-hmm. Tracy's adopted yeah. son. And he later got uh, the Crime Stopper textbook in there. And um, it's funny, if you look at the old... Crime Stopper textbooks in the in the in the, the Sunday pages from way back, you know those tips and and crimes whatnot, they haven't changed much. It's it's surprising. No. I mean, it, it, those <laughs> those things still apply to today. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have the Crime Stoppers textbook back today. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So uh, which, which is yeah, remarkable. But, uh, but Grant said that the best living thing to come out of Dick Tracy was Crime Stoppers. And, uh, of course, it's evolved into, uh, originally started as a, as a kids club, actually, in Woodstock, Illinois, and um, uh, went on from there, and it, it spread across towns and cities to, to teach uh-huh. children about crime prevention. So you wanted to get kids kind of on the right path. And, uh, but it later, it later evolved into um, one of the most effective citizen law enforcement anti-crime programs uh, in the world, uh, Crime Stoppers International, and um, it's still around, and um, they offer rewards for tips leading to the arrest and you know conviction. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, Tracy, anyway. as all of this unfolded in the life of Dick Tracy and how his life expanded, and I want to talk to you about radio as well. As his life expanded, was your grandfather in any way surprised or? I'll say surprised at how much of a grip Dick Tracy had on people's lives and how alive he was for people. I I don't I don't know if he was surprised. He didn't show it. Um, I didn't see it. Um, I wasn't looking for anything like that. Um, yeah. Uh, Jeff might be able to answer that question just from his viewpoint, but. I, as far as the grandson, I mean, I wasn't, um, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't something I was looking for specifically yeah. in my grandfather. Like, are you surprised yeah. that uh, this took off like it did and, and yeah, stuff I mean, like that? I mean, that? the evolution of the character and how many um, medium locations he appeared in was yeah, far yeah. beyond what you would expect from anything. You would think, you know, in fact, um, one of the first radio shows that came out was around, I believe, well, one of them was back in 1937, 1938. I mean, Dick Tracy had just started in 1931. It had Mm -hmm. just hit the comic pages, uh, you know, for six years or so, and all of a sudden, boom, here's a radio show. And, of course, radio was huge, just as big, if not bigger, than the newspapers. Um, But he, I, I don't... He never showed to the fact that wow, I'm, that surprised me. It hit the one way or the other. Hit the hit the uh, the different media's that it did. Yeah. Um, he never showed that. Did um, he have a role in creating the content of the radio show? No. 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 Yeah. That was strictly something that was 
done with the Dick Tracy name. Period. Yeah, the syndicate owned, initially the syndicate owned, um, in, in fact, when, when the radio program first started, uh, I think, it, as I understand it, it was first aired uh, on a tryout basis in the Boston market back in uh, the spring of 1934. Mm-hmm. They, uh, the, Tribune, the Tribune owned all the rights to radio royalties. And and so the syndicate pretty much uh, negotiated with um, you know radio uh, broadcasters and and the radio broadcasters invited the talent that actually crafted those stories um, and they they certainly the syndicate retained some uh, control over the content I, mean, I don't know as though they actually were like reading scripts and all of that before they were airing but um, you know uh, from uh, from the standpoint of the, it being their own properties I think they certainly mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that it maintained a certain level of integrity consistent with the comic strip yeah um, but yeah it wasn't until Ch- uh, Gould signed his first contract in the fall of 1934 and started to receive royalties um, that Chet you know maybe uh, had a little bit more um, of a position to be able to talk about that. And, and obviously that invited his uh, representative yeah. into those conversations. For our so, audience, yeah. uh, it was in the 38, it was, it was Hyman Brown, who later, today's generation remember him as being the producer, director, CBS Mystery Theater, during the Golden Days of Radio, mm-hmm. Interchange, them, uh, The Thin Man, other radio shows, and that was one of the things he put on the air starting in 1938. And I always thought it interesting to listen to the the Dick Tracy shows in the 40s. Just uh, to go, always got a little credit, you know, name credit, you know, created character yeah. created by Chester Gould. And it was a fun radio series because the the actors played it, you know, uh, adult like it was not cartoonish at all. Even though the characters had that, you know, what we know flat top everything, but the character, the the personalities were, you know, very straight-ahead style. Yeah. Okay, for both Jeff and Tracy, we talked about how much time can you spend with us, and I know we're overshooting the runway here. Are we still okay for a handful more questions? (laughs) Well, how are you doing, Jeff? <laughs> I'm all right. I can, go, of, I, I can go a little. Yeah, no, yeah, I'll go okay, a little longer, but, uh, <laughs> we could we could probably start to close it down. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. all right. I'm I'm so glad I asked. Uh, I I want to go to what I think is something quite remarkable for today, and then you know maybe hit on a, on one or two more questions. But I visited GoComics.com, which has many of the current comic strips up on that site. So obviously I went to Dick Tracy. There is an entire discussion where people post back and forth. It's like a forum (laughs) under every single comic strip. And as far as I can tell, they're all adults. They are all trying to speculate about the characters, whether they're good or bad, what the current storyline is, what's going to happen. Every single strip has this discussion (laughs) going on. Which I found incredible. Yeah. The it's grouping stuff. I mean, particip- yeah, the audience is actually participating in in trying to figure out what's going to happen next. I'm glad for um, 
I'm glad for the uh, Chicago Tribune or uh, Tribune Content Agency. It's, it's who owns and uh, owns the the Dick Tracy comic strip. It's the mm-hmm. current you know um, iteration of the of the old Chicago Tribune New York News Syndicate, and I'm happy for them that. Um, Tracy has tra- found a way to translate into now yet another medium, right? Uh, and and to be so engaging and in some of I think the positive ways of this media that this particular media, the internet, um, uh, the for, the forum, uh, what its capabilities are for. So so I imagine some of these conversations uh, that you see there, you know. Uh, recorded for posterity i suppose yeah those those conversations were being had in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s they might have been being had around a water cooler or at the kitchen mm-hmm. table before you know the family yeah. left uh or uh you know with devoted fans uh who got together perhaps and uh you know sw- swapped uh you know their favorite stories of the strips they read in the paper that day um yeah but well, we get I, to I we get surprised. to be we get to be witnesses. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it, we get to be witnesses. Number one, that it was there. But I'm happy to say every single post was polite, which is a very hard thing to find in that kind of kind of a setting at that point. Okay, Tracy, which characters yeah. are most memorable to you? Well, you know, probably those basic guys: beady eyes, pruned face, itchy, the brow. Uh, those would be about the most uh, prominent that I remember, uh, just from from the cartoons and what have you. Uh, uh-huh. Some of the lesser known ones, you know, like the Pouch, um, uh, Scorn, uh, Johnny Scorn. Um, those were back. Those were up in the the seventies, uh, I believe. There, but yeah, to answer your question, that was it. One one thing interesting about Pruneface, um, how that little guy got created. My grandfather told me he, he drew up an egg shape, you know, for a head, you know, to get, get mm-hmm. the character going. And um, put put a, a cross there, you know, to get the eyes level and where the nose and mouth would be, and uh, it didn't look right. And he started scratching it off. He says, if that doesn't look like a prune, yes, that's prune <laughs> face. <laughs> that's and how that he was born. Yep. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Isn't that so, incredible? Okay, yeah. I think I'm almost down to the end here. Some of his futuristic creations, like the two-way wrist radio, for example, mm-hmm. have actually become realities. Mm-hmm. Tracy, what are your thoughts about that? I think that I think that is absolutely tremendous. I think that is just absolutely tremendous. Um, it was like he was, uh, you know, a future cast. I mean, how it, it didn't it didn't exist. And, um, well, maybe he inspired uh, people who thought of those things and years later worked on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now, yeah. Now we basically basically have it coming out now. I mean, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the uh, the uh, phone ID thing that that, that came in, into uh, Dick Tracy um, mm-hmm. that came in in came around, and I forget the exact year that came, but um, that would that would work like a hundred foot. You know, uh, perimeter or something from where somebody was doing a phone call. You could you could pick up the ID, but what an un- of all oh, things, something ID, like yeah. that, yeah. caller ID. To think of something like that, um, uh, or, or the security camera, um, yeah. stuff like that didn't exist. You were thinking so far out of the box. All this stuff has become reality. Um, it's incredible. Um, <clears throat> hey, just a minute to go back to to 
of uh, characters that were uh, notable. Beal Plenty. He was another good guy. His name was his name was Bob Oscar. His name was Bob Oscar. When he came down, my grandfather created the guy, Beal Plenty. Okay, it was in the forties. Okay, he comes down to show my mom and my my grandmother. Okay, they look at it, and I remember my mom telling me that people just didn't say B O in the forties. That was just disgusting. But uh, he he won. My grandfather won it out, and Bob Oscar was. Was there, but um, anyway, or, I mean, Bob, you know, you know, Bob Oscar plenty, Bob yeah. plenty. Anyway, but it, uh, getting back to to the inventions, um, yeah, incredible. It's like he he knew, he 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 saw the future before. Maybe maybe that inspired people to uh, the industries to um, uh, come out and make some of this stuff. When we had, uh, we used to have a actual physical museum, and we had a a company come in by the name of Motorola to talk to us a little bit. And Gramp had done a Sunday page way back when the two-way wrist radio came out back in the 40s to show how it was made, okay? Well, we present a copy of this guy to the one of the, to this head sales guy with Motorola. He says, my gosh, we've been doing it all wrong. He shows us in the comic strip how to build it. It's right here. <laughs> it oh, so my fun. heavens. <laughs> but, oh, my um, gosh. Anyway, I hope that kind of answers your question there. Yeah, it does, and, and a lot more. Thank you for adding to yeah. it. Okay, yeah. I'm down to my last question. Cross my little heart, unless you have other things to add. Um, I want you to tell me why Dick Tracy has celebrated such longevity when other characters and comics did not, and especially because he had to remain contemporary as he developed. Why did that happen? Why is he still with us? Well, he's, he's, I know Jeff can jump in on this too, but um, he, he's kept up with the time. Crime is never going to go away. It's always going to be there. He's always got a job, uh, and he has to be 10 feet ahead of uh, the bad guys. Um, Jeff, can you any, any comments on that? Um, yeah, I mean, just... Saying saying it in a different way, maybe, <laughs> but that I, yeah. I I mean, there's really not much more that I could add to that. I mean, he he is in American pop culture, and you know, beyond American pop culture, because we live in a, a pretty you know connected world. Um, uh, he is the archetypal uh, good versus evil, and uh, he has been, you know. Uh, it, obviously, that archetype's been around for a long, long time, and uh, it's endured because uh, you know evil's been around for a long, long time. And I think as long as crime is with us, it doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon. Sadly, um, I, I think there will be a um, a natural need for our imagination as readers to have what Dick Tracy does each and every day reinforced for us. Uh, because I think inherently we know in our hearts and we're drawn, our minds are drawn to, um, to Tracy, I, I think, um, uh, and what Tracy stands for and what Tracy accomplishes, uh, hard as it might be time and time again, adversary after adversary. Um, this is, is what, um, uh, as long as it's cleverly presented and, uh, and that, that, dynamic remains i feel like dick tracy has a relatively unlimited life um you know uh 
he's been formidable in, as we've talked about, kind of crossing, um, successfully crossing all sorts of genres and all sorts of media um, and doing so off and on over the years successfully. Um, yeah. I mean, news, newspapers have been, uh, even to this day, I, I know it might sound funny to some of your listeners uh, who don't, you know, read a paper, a physical newspaper every day, but newspapers have been, it was and and still is, uh, you know, uh, where the the idea of the comic strip originated, and it's I think intended. But I think the internet, in my my own personal point of view, um, I see the internet as a tremendously valuable frontier that really can broaden the walls of those four panels and the shapes of those four panels and. Um, you know, I, I would like to see if I had, if I could cast the future, I would love to see Dick Tracy, uh, expand into something, break a little bit out of that newspaper four panel format. And, uh, I, I think the internet provides us with that possibility. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, well, as long well, as there's crime, we're, we have no problem with Dick Tracy not being around. He'll be around for as long as crime will be around. Be around. So. And he's we need him. We need him around. Of never getting old. We do. We need that that uh, and <laughs> good man to have around. With maybe a little oh, bit more of a sense of humor than he has, though, because again, the straight arrow business. You know, Tess is yeah. uh, Tess has been very patient for many, many years. Yeah, now it's true. Uh, Got to crack a smile once yeah. in a while, you know. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I uh, I, I love that. Yeah. None of them get old. So None I have overstayed our welcome, which I am known for, and I so appreciate your spending the extra time with us. We have been talking with Tracy O'Connell, who is the grandson of Chester Gould, and we know him as the creator of Dick Tracy. He wrote and drew the comic strip for almost 47 years. And Jeff Kirsten, who is president of the board of directors of the Dick Tracy Museum, which is online at DickTracyMuseum.com. Jeff, can people examine and buy the books with the historic strips in them online at this address? Yeah, we do not actually sell the books. Um, we contribute to them, and it really um, it's a public service that the Chester Gould Dick Tracy Museum um, conducts by contributing to these books. We receive no uh, we receive promotion uh, really is is the only thing we receive in contributing to the mm-hmm. series, and so we we do not sell those books on our website. Um, okay. One um, one additional effort, though, that we are um, currently uh, in the process of embarking on is um, we have joined with a publisher by the name of Sunday Press Books. And um, for a long time, uh, folks have wanted to see Color Sundays of Dick Tracy. And and the museum has issued some color, reprinted Color Sundays, and those are available on our website for purchase. Um, But we... uh, we're cooking up something for the 85th anniversary of vol- a special volume that's uh, featuring the, uh, the that first decade the, of the 1930s and some cases, some select cases uh, reprinted in full color, just the Sunday pages. Um, 
some of your listeners might be interested to know that um, some newspapers in America um, only publish Dick Tracy on Sundays. And so Chester Gould had to create, had to craft his strip for the daily reader and also for the newspaper reader who might only see the strip on a Sunday. And so you can actually go and just read the Sunday pages of a certain case and hopefully, I mean, you'll miss some details that might have appeared during the Monday through Saturday plot line, but um, uh, we're pretty excited about being able to, um, you know, showcase those beautiful color Sundays, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in their glory, in their glory. And that book should be out and available uh, for purchase, including at the museum, um, uh, some copies anyway, um, but also through Sunday press uh, starting in October. And we're pretty excited about, about that venture. Um, okay. yeah. And, and it'll explore a little bit about the background of Dick Tracy as well, I think. Great. I might just add about books also uh, on the website. My mother huh? wrote a book titled Chester Gould, A Daughter's Biography of the Creator of Dick Tracy. And she wrote that book based on recordings my grandfather did with her towards the end of his life that talked about from the beginning up, up through uh, the time that he uh, retired from doing Dick Tracy the last thing he said on the tapes was, Jane, I hope you can use this somewhere. Well, she did. After he passed mm-hmm. away, she wrote this book. And uh, it gives the full story from the very beginning to, to the end. And uh, how I am got started. So glad you, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I even visited the Amazon.com page for that book, and I did not put it on my list. Thank you, Tracy, for mentioning it and talking Thank about you. it. It is available. Do you yep. Still, yep. You, you, does the family still have the tapes? Hopefully, you guys. Have I to... believe I believe we still do That's in good. safekeeping. That's good. <laughs> we still have his voice. So. That's good news. I do uh, hope so. One more well, time, thank you for letting me overstay our welcome. We just love well, this, and I mean the information is just so wonderful, and the two of you work so well together that. Well, um, it's a, it came Walden and Walden and Patricia. It's a compliment to the Gould family to have you interested. And Dick Tracy oh, and Chester Gould, and and, um, and, and go ahead. It was just indeed. How could we not? My and, goodness, uh, um, just a, a very special person, touched and touches so many lives, and uh, we're just delighted that you were able to spend time with us. Well, it's uh, and Jeff is so technically oriented with Dick Tracy. It's un- unbelievable. Wow. You, know, you are you know the everything. <laughs> Tracy, my God, it's incredible. He um, could go through the list of hundreds we, and hundreds of characters, couldn't he? Yep. Well, I, yeah, I, I won't go. I won't go that far. Uh, but I'm, I, I, yeah, I, I, I've devoted a lot of time to study Chester Gould, and he's a pretty incredible human being. Um, and yes. I think that uh, hundreds of us could spend uh, devote our lives to trying to understand who he was, and and uh, we'd still. Uh, not cover cover at all. It's pretty incredible stuff. So. Very incredible. Okay, I don't have well. to cook breakfast for you. <laughs> we can, we Thank can you. Say, you Thank know, there are times I've tried, but uh, uh, we can say goodnight well. to you and thank you so much for spending so much time with us. 
Thank you. Thanks for having us. You bet. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. All right, family. Patricia and I are going to be taking a break. We're going to run a radio show. Fibber McGee and Molly. Why, it wouldn't be a Saturday night show without Fibber McGee and Molly. Right, Patricia? Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do that because that way Patricia has homework. And I can go. I have homework. I still have to do Walden's questions. Because <laughs> I, I was bad. And I can cook a I bag of popcorn. To other stuff. Yeah, and I can cook a bag of popcorn. <gasps> I'll go have dinner. Okay, you'll have dinner. We'll run, <laughs> we'll run three radio shows. No, I think Patricia can get it done. In, yeah, we can We can get it done in one. Done. Oh, my goodness. Uh, they were just so wonderful, oh. Jeff and Tracy. Just so wonderful, and I, I enjoyed it so much. I did, too. I did, too. Um, yeah, and we covered so much stuff. So much stuff. I bet, and, we, and, I, I, I bet we can have them back sometime. That would be good. I yeah. sure hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I sure hope so. Just goody, goody stuff. Okay, we will be back. Yeah, we will be back. I will talk to you in a little while, Patricia. Okay. Okay, family. Let me go up. Let we'll me... be back. Goodbye. Here's a Jaws help topic for SoundForge Presence or Windows M. S. Windows M. Desktop S. Skype S. Snapfit S. Saturday Night Enter. File 11F. Fibermic Enter. Saturday. Fibermic G and Molly 12-6-491. Fibermic G and Molly 12-6-492. Fibermic G and Molly 12-7-48. Fibermic G and Molly 12-12-44. Fibber McGee and Molly 12-15-42. Fibber McGee and Molly 12-16-41. Fibber McGee and Molly 12-17-46. Fibber McGee and Molly 12-18-453. Fibber McGee and Molly 12-18-455. Fibber McGee and Molly 12-18-45. Fibber McGee and Molly 12-19-44. Fibber McGee and Molly 12-20-491. Fibber McGee and Molly 12-20-49 Fibber McGee and Molly 12-21-43 Fibber McGee and Molly 12-21-48 Fibber McGee and Molly 12-22-42 Fibber McGee and Molly 12-21-48 Unloading can okay enter enter group WMAQ and WMAQ-FM NBC in Chicago for incredibly fast relief from pains of headaches, neuritis, or neuralgia, try Anison tablets. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients. Get A-N-A-C-I-N, Anison, today. <laughs> the Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra.
Well, I guess there's not much doubt that the kind of beauty women want in their kitchens is practical beauty. Maybe that accounts for the popularity of Johnson's self-polishing floor wax, Glow Coat. The beauty in Glow Coat, of course, is the luster it gives your linoleum. Especially now that there's a new glow in Glow Coat, a glow that makes every inch of your linoleum shine far more brightly than before. Well, there's a practical quality in Johnson's Glow Coat, too, and that's the protection it gives your linoleum. It certainly would be surprising if you or anyone could go through the holidays without scuffing up the linoleum surface a bit or spilling liquids when you're washing the dishes. Well, Johnson's Glow Coat, bright and pretty as it is to look at, covers your linoleum with a hard, dry finish that protects and makes it so easy to clean. Ask for Johnson's Glow Coat, the floor wax that now shines with a brighter, warmer glow. Your dealer has the new glow coat in the same familiar yellow container with the bright red band. Take some home and see what we mean by practical beauty in the kitchen. No holiday is a complete success with everybody. Cops, for instance, hate Halloween. The Army thinks Navy Day is silly. If you're a turkey, you're entitled to a low opinion of Thanksgiving. And what a mailman thinks of Christmas is absolutely unthinkable. One of them has just relieved his aching back a trifle, however, by leaving a batch of greetings at 79 Wistful Vista, the home of Fibber McGee and Molly. Well, here's the mail, kiddo. Mostly Christmas cards, and... Hey, you know what? No, what? I wish the mailman a Merry Christmas, and he looks at me like I'd poisoned his dog or something. What goes with that sour puss? Well, what's so merry about Christmas to a mailman? Huh? He starts out holding the bag and winds up the same way. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's right, but... Oh, look, a card from Uncle Dennis. Ah, uh, Uncle Dennis. Kentucky's greatest booster. <laughs> Straight Kentucky, that is. <laughs> What's the card? It's a picture of Santa Claus coming down the chimney upside down. Upside down? Yeah. <laughs> it says Merry Christmas and bottoms up, Uncle Dennis. <laughs> That's him, all right. Boy, the government missed a great bet when they passed him up during the war. What a production man he'd have made. Why? You ever know a guy that could locate a bottleneck quicker or get to the bottom of it faster? <laughs> I just love opening Christmas cards. Yeah. Who's that one from? Old man McDonald from the Third National Bank. It's a picture of him in a Santa Claus outfit, foreclosing a mortgage on a ragged widow and three barefoot kids standing out in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Says, just kidding, of course, McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, my clavicle. That guy's got less heart than the salary on the blue plate special. Hey, here's a pretty Christmas card. Let me see it. Oh, yes, isn't this sweet? Mm -hmm. It says, though Christmas comes but once a year, it brings back memories all so dear of friends whose hearts are strong and true, old friends, good friends, dear friends like you. Da-da-da. <laughs> <laughs> Little drippy, but nice. <laughs> who's it from? Well, it's signed, uh, with love, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. I wonder who that could... Wait a minute. It isn't addressed to us. It's addressed to you. To me? From Elizabeth? <laughs> Who do I know named Elizabeth? Well, I'm sure I don't know, dearie. 
Just some casual acquaintance, no doubt. My casual acquaintances don't sign Christmas cards with love, Snooky. My gosh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Interesting, isn't it? Very. Some schoolgirl friend of yours, probably. Not likely. Any schoolgirl friend of mine has got an ear trumpet and grandchildren by this time. <laughs> hey, this is kind of intriguing, you know that? It is? Elizabeth, Elizabeth. I wonder if that could be the rather attractive woman I gave my seat to on the streetcar last week. <laughs> Just as I was getting off. <laughs> I don't think so. She called me a lazy slob. Well, now, just don't worry about it, sweetheart. And stop smirking at yourself in the mirror. Well, I wasn't smirking. I was just wondering how I'd look with a mustache. You did raise one once, remember? How'd I look? Well, I don't recall ever committing myself, but Dr. Gamble said you looked like an adolescent walrus with a vitamin deficiency. <laughs> but, of course, he was... Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Come Elizabeth. in. Elizabeth. Oh, it's Mayor Latrivia McGee. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Hi, Elizabeth. Or, hi, Latrib. Oh, hello, Mrs. McGee. McGee. Whew. Getting pretty nippy outside. Regular winter weather. Yeah, this is the kind of a day I like, Latriv. Brisk and bracing. Feels good not to have to go out in it. Sit down, Mr. Mayor. Sit down. We're just looking over some Christmas cards. Yeah, I got one here that kind of baffles me, Latriv. I don't know who it's from. Why don't you read the signature on it? Well, he did, Mr. Mayor. It's signed with love, Elizabeth, and himself can't remember any Elizabeth, he says. Got me kind of curious, Latrive. Oh, not that I figure I got any more secret admirers than anybody else, but... <laughs> well, you know how it is, getting a card signed love from somebody you can't place. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably just a mistake of some kind. Yeah. I'd certainly advise Mrs. McGee not to worry about anybody stealing her husband. <laughs> And I'll thank you to keep your advice to yourself, Latrivia. My wife can worry about me if she wants to. Can't you, Molly? Indeed, I can, dearie. <laughs> I certainly can, and I will, too, just as soon as we get Christmas out of the way. <laughs> See, I'll bet you get lots of letters at the City Hall from people you've never heard of, Mr. Mayor. Don't oh, you? yes, yes, we do, Mrs. McGee. Most of them full of suggestions about how to run the city. Ever take any of them? I take all of them. Good. Out and burn them. <laughs> A letter came just this morning warning me to have the paving fixed on 14th Street or else. It was signed anonymous. So naturally, uh, I Signed how, Mr. Mayor? Anonymous. That's just oh, a anonymous, way of signing eh? something. Do you have many Irish friends like that, Latrip? <laughs> Irish friends? Like what? Like the man that wrote you the letter, Mr. Onanimous. Yeah. We knew a family named O'Callaghan and one named O'Lonigan, but... Uh... Yeah, that is an Irish name, isn't it, Latrip? We're Irish ourselves, you know. Molly was an O'Driscoll, and I've been an O'McGee for years. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is an Irish name. I've known the Anonymous family since boyhood. <laughs> huh? You have? Certainly. Terence Anonymous was a second cousin to Danny O'Donigan of the Donegal Donegans. He was? Well, that's odd, because I and Molly were merely His trying to... His father start... was a Finnegan on his grandmother Flanagan's side, but the <laughs> Flanagans married into the Galligans, and the Galligans got into so many Brannigans with the Donegans that the Finnegans got tired of the shenanigans and said the Galligans were hooligans. <laughs> and everybody lost their tempers, but I'm not going to. <laughs> 
because an unstrung harp is no good to anybody. Besides, I just dropped in to offer you the season's greetings, so Merry Christmas to both of you and good day. Billy Mills, the orchestra with a medley of Christmas tunes. smiles when she spills a bowl of soup in your lap is no sign McGee, she's McGee, I ordered lamb chops for dinner if it's all right with you. Elizabeth, Elizabeth. McGee, are you still worrying about that Christmas card? Yeah. Throw it away. Yeah, but my gosh, Mom. Come in. Oh, for goodness sakes, McGee, it's Mr. Wimple. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hi, Wimp, old man. Hello, folks. <laughs> my... <laughs> my gracious, it's chilly today. I... I think it's going to snow again. What makes you think so? I just cleaned off our sidewalk. <laughs> I just love winter weather, though. Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife. Yeah, we know. Sweetie Face and I always have a snowball fight every year. It's sort of a tradition with us. Oh. Sounds like fun. Well, I think it will be fun this year, Mrs. McGee. I made a whole big bunch of snowballs for myself last summer and hid them in the attic. <laughs> Last summer, you made snowballs? Yes. <laughs> we didn't have any snow handy, so I made them out of plaster. Plaster? Why, Mr. Wimple, isn't that awfully hard? Oh, no, it's easy. You just take half a brick, coat it with plaster, and let it dry. <laughs> well, I hope you have a nice Christmas present for your wife this year, Mr. Wimple. Oh, yes, indeedy, Mrs. McGee. I've been saving my allowance for simply years. And all her friends have fur coats, so this year I went down and bought her a mink. Oh, Heavenly days, a mink. Was she surprised? Oh, indeed she was. The minute I got it home, it bit her in the leg. 
<laughs> the most surprised. Oh, my. You've got some pretty Christmas cards there. Yeah, I suppose we've got one from you here someplace, Wimp, but we haven't come to it yet. No, I didn't send any this year, folks. Oh. That's why I came over today. I'd like to read you a little Christmas verse that I... Well, it's sort of a serious verse. Oh. It's called The Chimney on the Corner. The Chimney on the Corner. Oh, read it, Wimp. All righty. The Chimney on the Corner. When the Santa on the corner smiles and rings his little bell and waves a cheery greeting and hopes that you are well, don't pass him with a hasty grin, but drop a coin or two because the Army of Salvation plays St. Nicholas for you in places where a bowl of soup, a place to sleep tonight, a pair of shoes, another chance, keep hope still shining bright. We know the corner Santa Claus is good for lots of jokes, but he's a real Kris Kringle to a lot of other folks. Goodbye and Merry Christmas. Well, same here. Isn't he a nice little man? Yeah, Wimp's well, okay. Oh, I forgot to ask him how did he know who sent me this Christmas card if he did. I don't know how he should know. After all, just because... What are you doing? Huh? Oh. I'm just looking at my hair in the mirror. <laughs> I hadn't realized till today how a little touch of iron gray at the temples gives a man that distinguished look. <laughs> <laughs> you noticed how much of a wave I'm getting in it. Don't let your hair go to your head, sweetheart. <laughs> Maybe that wave is just your hair saying goodbye. <laughs> Besides, if this Elizabeth, whoever she is, could... Hello, Molly. Hiya, pal. Merry Christmas. And to you, too, Mr. Wilcox. Yeah, you're a little previous, Junior, but since this is the last time we'll see you till after Christmas, and don't think I don't appreciate it, <laughs> happy Yuletide. Well, thank you. I was just out mailing some cards, and I thought I'd drop by. Hey, and... Junior, speaking of cards, I got a Christmas card here that I don't know who it's from. Really? What does it say? Well, it's addressed to me, see, and it's just signed, Love, Elizabeth. I don't know any Elizabeth, and it's got... Do the... you with love, pal? That's yeah. what it says, Mr. Wilcox. The thing is, Junior, there's lots of people that know me that I don't know them, you see. Even women. <laughs> sure, on, on account of I get saw around in public a lot, you know. <laughs> Prominent figures. Elks and everything. You mean you've got one or you are one? <laughs> Naturally, if some girl is struck by my looks and... Ask somebody my name. Well, I mean, there's no way I can help it. Say, now that you mention it, pal, a girl asked me your name just the other day. Uh -huh. Very attractive girl, too. You hear that, Molly? Oh, my gosh, this is even worse than I thought. What'd she say, Junior? Well, she pointed you out to me in Kramer's drugstore and asked me if I knew you and if I'd give you a message. Message? Gee whiz. Hey, is her name Elizabeth? What's the message, Junior? Go ahead, tell Molly, too. We got no secrets. If girls I don't know want to send me messages, Molly knows there's nothing I can know. What'd she say to tell me? <laughs> Well, she said, and I quote exactly. Yeah. You tell Mr. McGee that one of the things that makes men most attractive to women is thoughtfulness. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that makes a kitchen most attractive is the Johnson self-polishing glow coat on the window. <laughs> she said, tell him that the way to keep his wife always in love with him, the way to keep that happy glow on her face, is to see that her housework is made as easy as possible by keeping her supplied with glow coat always. Oh, dear Dorothy Dix. <laughs> because glow coat with its new built-in glow, that great beautifier and protector of your linoleum is so easy to apply. You simply pour it out, spread it around, let it dry in 20 minutes or less to a gleaming, sparkling finish that not only adds years of life to your linoleum, but makes dirt and dust so easy to wipe up. Uh, hey, and, hey, uh, hey, hey, hey. 
Waxy. Yes, pal. Who was the lovesick creature who sent my husband such a tender, sentimental message, Mr. Wilcox? Yeah. Was her name Elizabeth? No. Name's Jessica, come to think of it. Jessica. Best secretary I ever had, too. Oh. <laughs> well, I gotta go, kid. You in a hurry, Mr. Wilcox? Yeah. I'm on my way to a chimney sweep. Chimney stopped up, kid? Yeah. Full of soot, is it? No. It's full of my cousin, Big Bay Window Wilcox. <laughs> <laughs> Rehearsing his Santa Claus act for Christmas and got stuck in the flu. <laughs> well, he may not be a very good Santa Claus, Junie, but if he gets out of that chimney, he'll be well suited for the part. <laughs> Don't you get it, both of you? Suited? Okay, suited. <laughs> See, I constructed a pun involving the two meanings of the word suit. Ain't funny, McGee. Taint? No, taint. So long, now. <laughs> Smart guy. You don't seem to realize that when a mature man like me, a man of the world, a man of charm and experience, can throw some woman for a loop so that she loses her head and sits down and writes him a love note for Christmas, I, I mean, she doesn't think that Wilcox doesn't. What did I start out to say? I'm sure I don't know, pet, but I've got to go out and get dinner started. Let me know now if you remember who Elizabeth is. Okay, but you just keep your chin up, Tootsie. Don't you worry about a thing. Me? Of course I won't, dearie. My <laughs> goodness, after all these years, what woman would want to... Uh, that is, I mean, well... You're no boy anymore, you know. Huh? I mean to say I love you dearly, you know that, but who else would ever... I mean... <laughs> Come in, please. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Gamble. My, it's nice to see you. Hello, my dear, and good day to you, pudding head. <laughs> Hi, bell-bottom. <laughs> You out spreading Christmas cheer this week by staying away from your patients? No, I'm out taking measurements for splints, my boy. Huh? Do you plan to use a stepladder to decorate your Christmas tree again this year? Or shall I cross your name off my list? <laughs> cross him off, Doctor. At the price they're asking per foot for Christmas trees this year, we'll be able to decorate ours from a kneeling position. <laughs> yes, yeah, say, Doc, uh, you happen to know anybody named Elizabeth? Certainly, my mother. <laughs> Himself got a, a Christmas card signed, Love, Elizabeth. No, no, that wouldn't be her, Molly. She hates him. <laughs> Your mother doesn't even know me. I've described you to her. <laughs> How could she hate me just from that? My gosh, you got to know me for years to really hate me. <laughs> really, I'm a little disturbed, Doc. Some girl sends me a Christmas card with love, and I don't know who it is, so naturally I'm worried. Why? Why? Yeah. Why, my gosh, suppose some girl has saw me someplace and got a crush on me. You know how girls do, Doc. Probably just doesn't realize I'm married. Maybe just saw this sort of distinguished-looking man around town and bingo, off the deep end. I know just how you feel, my boy. Your distress is perfectly natural. What do you mean, distress? He's never been prouder in his life. Oh, I wouldn't say I was proud exactly, my dear, but after all, one can't help it if one has the type of personality that sets women on their ears. My gosh, I remember the time when I was kind of shy and bumblefooted, and no woman would look at me the second time. I remember that time, too. It was about two minutes ago. <laughs> but look, Casanova, if you're really worried that some girl has fallen in love with you, I have something here that might reassure you. Here, take it. What is it, Doctor? Hmm? A pocket mirror. Read it and weep, Romeo. Merry Christmas, children. Oh, King's men sing Ken Darby's composition, Let's Have an Old-Fashioned Christmas. Let's 
Doggone it, kiddo, this thing has got me waffled, or baffled. <laughs> Perfectly strange woman writing me mash notes when... Hey, what's the dangerous age in a man, Molly? The dangerous age? Yeah. That's the period of time between when his pants get long and his wind gets short. <laughs> now, I suppose around my age, a man does take on a kind of a sophisticated glamour for women. Kind of a man about town look that they just can't resist. Oh, I just hadn't realized till now that I'd reached that age. Well, you know, there is something different about you lately, dearie. Yeah? I look at you sometimes and I get an almost uncontrollable desire to run my hand through your hair. You do? Yes, with a pair of clippers. <laughs> How long since you've been to the barbershop? Oh, not so long. And besides, this shaggy look must have uh, had a certain appeal for women because whoever this Elizabeth is, she's so... Come in. Johnny. Hello, Mr. Oldtimer. <laughs> hi, or hi, Oldtimer. Hey, we got a little mystery on our hands here. Is that so? Yep. What happened, kids? Find footprints in the snow or somebody walking across your roof on his hands? No, Mr. Oldtimer. Himself here just got a Christmas card from some mysterious woman. What do you mean, mysterious woman? What other kind is there? <laughs> she means we don't know who this card is from, Oldtimer. It's signed with love, Elizabeth. <laughs> Well, it's nothing to get excited about, I guess. Happens every day. College girl crushes, you know. <laughs> I suppose Ronnie Coleman and Clark Gable run into this stuff all the time. I suppose so, Johnny. So does Roy Rogers' horse. <laughs> I read where some fan cut off a foot of Trigger's tail a couple of years ago, so you better be careful. But hey! <laughs> I, uh, I got an interesting Christmas card myself, kids. From a woman, Mr. Oldtimer? Yep, my landlady. And I kind of, I'm a little behind in my rent. 
You're behind in your rent, so she sends you a Christmas card. She wish you a Merry Christmas? Didn't say, Johnny. Just a picture of Santa Claus on it, and underneath it it says, Who do you think I am? Him? <laughs> Something. Oh, I suppose so. I gotta get back to work, kids. <laughs> I'm on extra at the post office this week, you know. Yeah, what doing? Smearing addresses or mislaying packages that gurgle? <laughs> I'm in the parcel post, Johnny. Oh? Here's my work order. See, daughter? Uh-huh. Yeah. It says proceed to parcel post department and see that all packages are weighed and stamped. What was that, daughter? She said, see that all packages are weighed and stamped. Why? Stamped? Yeah. Oh, Jiminy, now I'm in for it. Why? I thought it said stomped. Uh, for three days, I've been having myself a wonderful time jumping up and down. I go, oh, Merry Christmas, anyhow, kids. When you get that package from your Aunt Sarah, it was glassware, I think. <laughs> Hey, I wonder if he could have traced this Christmas card through the post office and Well, I doubt it, dearie. And frankly, I'm developing a terrific disinterest in the entire subject. Hmm? So while you practice that flashing smile and the lifted eyebrow, I'll go start dinner. Okay, Tootsie. Ah, there goes a good kid. And steady as a rock. (laughs) Strange woman writing mash notes to her husband, sending him her love, and what does she do? Scream? Pull hair? No, sir. She fixes dinner. (laughs) A little more flattering if she wasn't so dad-ratted calm about this thing because... Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hi, sis. <laughs> what you doing, mister? What you doing? Watch it. I'm trying to think, Teeny. It seems that somebody... Gee, you got a lot of pretty Christmas cards, I betcha. Yeah, we sure did. But mm-hmm. one of them was... So did we. Good. Now be mm-hmm. quiet a minute, sis. I want to concentrate on a little problem. I think we had some awful pretty Christmas cards this year, mister. You did, eh? Yes, we all... Hmm? I says you did, eh? Did what? Had some awful pretty cards this year. Who did? You did. I know it. (laughs) My mama said to me yesterday, she said, bring me the Christmas card you bought for Mr. McGee and I'll address it for you, Elizabeth. Yeah, well, that... Huh? (laughs) What'd she call you? Me? Yeah. Elizabeth. Oh... She always calls me Elizabeth on account of I'm named Elizabeth, oh. but my daddy calls me Teeny only Elizabeth. Oh, my gosh, you. <laughs> hey, Molly, here's Elizabeth. Don't go away, Elizabeth. Hey, Molly. Hey, Molly, come in and see who's Elizabeth. My gosh, you're Molly. <laughs> I wonder whether you've tried Johnson's Glow Coat lately, because this self-polishing floor wax has a new glow, a glow that brightens up your kitchen linoleum, makes it glossier and more lustrous than before. Now, that wouldn't be quite so very special, of course, if you had to do a lot of rubbing and buffing to get that kind of finish on your linoleum. But you don't. Johnson's Glow Coat produces its own sparkling luster while it dries and without any help from you. Ask your dealer about this wonderful self-polishing floor wax. When he hands you the familiar yellow glow coat container with the bright red band, he'll be handing you the glow coat with the new glow. The glow coat that protects your linoleum, makes it easy to keep clean and very cheerful to look at. Ladies and gentlemen... And so thanks for all the wonderful Christmases you've given us. 
And on behalf of the Johnson Wax people and everyone on the program, we'd like to wish you the merriest Christmas ever. Here's to a bright, merry Christmas With all of the old-fashioned love we knew As long as you live, may the years always give An old-fashioned Christmas to This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. No NBC time. Merry Christmas, everybody. December 21, 1948. Oh, sir, Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here on this radio station. Help the homeless the needy, and the poor. We're so grateful to all the service people who served the country. We thank you those who lost their life this weekend, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright, let's go get Patricia and let's see what her song is going to be there. You know, it wouldn't be a show without Patricia's song. Okay, good. Alright, let's go get Patricia first. Jaws Professional Patricia from FO Tab, Skype Trademark Tab, Online Tab, Walden Hughes Tab, Search Edit, Act Favorite, Tracy, Tracy, Jeff Kirk, Martin, Ed Clue, Patricia from FL Applicate, Send us Invite a Group, Enter, Leaving Menus, Patricia, Unloading Jaw, Cans, OK, Enter, Patricia from Already. Yes, my dear. Everybody stand to stand stand in attention. Here we go. Oh Patricia, my darling Patricia. I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia You could make all my dreaming come true My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no foolin' I'm falling in love with you. Oh, Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue sky. Oh, 
Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling, I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in We'll get it in there somewhere. Hello there, Patricia. Hello there, Walden. Hello, adorable. How hey, are phone we? Rings, rings, rings. You want to say anything before whatever? Hello, Walden. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. We do have a theme tonight. Okay. And, of course, it's, it's Memorial Day commemorating our very special people. Amen. For Memorial Day, and then later we can get to your, or, oh, this was mine. You had information, please, who would be good today. And last week I had an extra one, which old-time radio show had the best or the worst music. But I'd really like to stay with Memorial Day. So that's the end. Who's there? All right, bye now. You are on the air with Patricia. Are you just yes. playing hooky tonight? Yes, we're confusing <gasps> everybody. Were you not listening? I was not listening. Oh, no. Well, then, I, I you don't know where we are. When, when I think I should. You missed a wonderful well, we two-hour guest. Really? Yeah. Go ahead. We had a wonderful two-hour interview that you missed. Did I? I'll have to catch it Wednesday. I think so. We had <laughs> Tracy O'Connell, who is the grandson of Chester Gould, who created Dick Tracy. And we had Jeff Kirsten, who is the president of the board of directors of the Dick Tracy Museum. And my gosh, did they have some great goodies for us, and you weren't there. This is Dan in Indiana. We're scolding. That's right. You need to scold me, yes. I'm <laughs> sorry. I had other things to do. So, but, uh, so how are you? Uh, staying busy, staying busy, and, um, you know, just uh, having a good weekend here. So how Are you on break? Hmm? I, I I lose track of all of the colleges and universities. Are you on break? Are you on? No, that was that was long ago, wasn't it? Yes, yes. I'm I'm. Uh, we're we're not on break. Uh, I'm not on break. Uh, summer summer school is in session. Wait a minute! Uh, not, wait a minute! Not summer yet. Well, it's in, well, according it's, to universities, see. it is. You guys work <laughs> on a different calendar than the rest of us. Well, June, which will be this week, is like the beginning of uh, meteorological uh, summer. You know, June, July, and August are summer months. So, 
Yeah, but but see, I thought June doesn't start till June twenty first. You mean summer? Yeah, maybe summer doesn't start. Yeah, <laughs> June starts a little everybody, earlier. Than everybody that. knows what I'm talking about. Of course, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, can, you can skip yeah. entire sentences, and we know. <laughs> well, it's, it's going to be ninety degrees here most of this week, so in my book, that's summer. That's pretty up there. That's pretty up there. Yes. Yeah. That is hey, pretty up there. That's our weather. We're going to be in the 70s. Some places 88, but they lie. Uh-huh. It's going to be yeah. in the 90s. But for you, that's quite remarkable. Yeah, this morning we had dew points in the 70, upper 60s to 70 degree range, and that's getting into the, I don't know if it's, I think it might be, you know, the uncomfortable level, you know, when you don't cool off below 70 at night. That's when it gets, you know, pretty humid. Yeah. And I, yeah. I feel the humidity that goes oh, up good, the temperature goes down. Yeah. Yes. I, I think that's a good sign of summer. <laughs> or a bad sign that you're going to have to tolerate an awful stuff. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I used to hate when we lived on the farm without air conditioning the nights when it wouldn't get below 70. It was hard to sleep during those times. It was probably hard to breathe, too. Uh, at times, at times. But, my, uh, my mom in the 40s in Nebraska, they had a screened in summer porch, so they would sleep out there. Oh, sure. So I, I don't know if that's still fairly common. Maybe not now with people having air conditioning, but I guess they were common back in them days. Exactly. Some people don't use it. Ah. Yeah. We had seven maple trees around our house, and I think one maple tree was ever bit of 200 years old. It was huge. And, um, you know, that usually helped, you know. Okay. With, I'm going to, I'll tell everybody a secret. What's that now? What? I still have my electric blanket on my bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a secret. That's a... I'll think of a word, but it's not a secret. <laughs> well, maybe it's a secret, but there's a word that's worse than that. I'll think of it. Why do you still have you your electric it on the bed? Because it's so nice and warm at night, you know, I mean. But how how cold is it in your house with the air conditioning if you have your, your electric blanket on? Yeah, but we don't have air conditioning here. We don't or you don't? It. We don't need it, no. I find Dan, that hard keep to believe. asking, keep asking questions. I'm well, at because, a loss. Because, because I'm so, because we're so close to the ocean. Uh, uh-huh, we get, yes. We get the ocean breeze, and we don't have the mm-hmm. humidity like people on the east coast. So, so uh, you know, I get cold when it's in the sixties around here. I guess so. It must be a fairly fairly arid climate then. Keep asking, Dan. I'm at a loss. It, it, it was July last year when I took it off, but, you know, I'll, I'll still probably have it for another six more weeks, so. Now, Patricia has the humidity, I'm sure. I'm, if she's I'm going to look for my stuff. Hold on. Okay. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to look and see what my temperature is ah. and what the humidity is. Mm-hmm. And the humidity is only 81% tonight. I bet my humidity is higher than your humidity. Jeez. Do you think so? 
No, 81% is pretty high. It's only 76, though. Okay, um, Dan, are you comfortable giving me your zip code? Sure. 47112. What was the first number, please? Four. 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 Seven. Seven, one, one, two? Yes. So, Dan, you are. In the Sunny Comics, what's your favorite funny paper? In the Sunday Comics. I like Garfield. You're a Garfield kid. Okay. Garfield's good. Garfield is a Hoosier. Is he really? I did not know that. Yes, from Muncie, Indiana, home of Ball State. Well, I'll be darned. Well, you're 68 degrees right now, and by golly, you are right. Your humidity is 94%. It's going to start raining if it gets any lower. (laughs) Wow. Really, you're going to point to 66. That'll be 100% for you. Exactly. Look for a foggy morning, then. You're not going to be able to find the library tomorrow. There'll be too much fog. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you can. Nobody has ever called in fog, have they? They call in sick. They call in snow, but nobody's ever called in fog, or have That's they? That's right. That's right. Sometimes we get fog on the Ohio River. It looks like it's a uh, whipped cream. No kidding. It's that thick. Yeah. Yes, it sure is. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know. If oh out- wow. If you're out on one of the hills and you look down toward the river, you can just see this fog kind of you know, piling up on itself. That's amazing. Yes. It is amazing. To... Okay, so what have you been doing this week that has made you smile? We'll start with happy what stuff. Have... Happy stuff, happy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't know, just kind of getting some things accomplished that I've been putting off. Well, that's happy. Okay, I'll accept that. That's happy stuff. Yeah, I I cleaned out a closet, took some things to Goodwill. That's That's happy stuff. Good, Susan. Yeah? Exactly. Good good person for Goodwill and really happy stuff that you got through a closet. I need you as my director. Do I now? You, I need you as my director. My okay. director. Mark yeah. it in. March it out. Okay, over here. What This closet hasn't been touched. <laughs> you have to do that for me. <laughs> yeah. You can call me two or three times a day and say, okay, what did you <laughs> <Exactly>. accomplish? <laughs> that, that should be a buddy job. You know, you have a friend come over and you like, okay, here's my closet. What do I do with this stuff? You know, help box it up, pack it down to Goodwill. Salvation Army. Allow me to like yes. Allow me to get the trash can. I'll be right back. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I've been doing very well with my closets lately. Uh-huh. Truly. Well, that's good. That way, Walden can send you more things from California. That's true. Well, I'm running out. It's all been going down to Illinois instead. So, we only got another three thousand more cassette tapes. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, excuse me for mentioning this, but. Dan, you could have done me a better favor than mentioning that. <laughs> Goody, she's got room for more boxes. I've got several in the car that are ready to go to the post office. Good. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm good for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you ever pick up the boxes that were in the office yet? No. Okay. Good thing, when, they, when, good, good thing they like you, Patricia. They can hold on to your mail forever. That's good. Either Either that or somebody said... 
a bad word and disposed of them, but nobody mentioned that, so I'm confident they still have them there. And but Tuesday, Walden will call me and say, have you been to the office yet? <laughs> right? There are some great treasures down there. Yeah. It's just that the one box is so heavy that I really don't want the office person to lift it. He's already lifted it twice. And he said, Three is a charm. You, you back up. Hmm? Three is a charm. Oh, well, okay. You know, I don't want to break his back. Everybody has discs in their back. I don't. You know? I hear you. Okay. Well, I have a question for you two. And I have one for you, Daniel. So what you got? Okay. <laughs> Daniel, this is great. Okay, what's your question? Louisville is a music fest tonight. We had a Kenny Chesty concert. Mm-hmm. We had a we had Abbey on the River, which is a Beatles uh festival. Uh bands come in and play Beatles music, you know, different types right. of... Wow. You know, okay. And then we mm-hmm. had the, a reggae festival. <gasps> Not. Oh, I love reggae. So which of those three options would you had uh, preferred to attend? Well, I think I just answered my question. I think you sure did. I would never have thought that of you. No kidding. You wouldn't have put me in the reggae group. Can't see you with dreadlocks. No, I haven't learned how to make them yet. Yes, that's right. No, no dreadlocks, oh, uh, just good steel drum music. Yeah. Yes, yes. In my in my situation, I would probably because I haven't. I I know the name. I haven't seen any of his music yet. I probably with Chesnick is probably what I would go to just to see what the current country style music is right at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I believe and how he had about you? thousand. Me? Hmm. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I could have gone to any of those places. I think I heard the uh, barbecue was really good down at the Beatles Fest. Ken Goff is our resident Beatles person. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, they've had this Abbey on the River for about 10 years now, and it's going to be moving across the river to Jeffersonville, Indiana, and uh, it's going to be going on again next year. I don't know if you've yeah. seen the news that um, this summer they're uh-huh. having six of the legendary rock and rollers put on a three-night concert out here in the desert. I've heard that. Uh, uh, what, what What is that being called? Is Willie Nelson in there? No. These are Paul McCartney. I was, that was my next choice. Yeah. Okay. Um, Bob. The Stones. The Stones. Bob, Bob, Dylan. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. No joke. Oh yeah. Bob Dylan. Oh yeah. Uh, there's six of them. And two each night. Oh. The the cheapest ticket is two hundred ninety nine bucks. And the average is like six ninety nine. And you know it generally. Um. They'll fit probably a quarter of a million people kind of thing. That's what if I, I could get a front row seat with Bob Dylan, I'd find a way to pay. A- anyway, oh. you know, so that's that's the hot, that's, that's sort of the buzz around here, you know, the concert out there in the desert this summer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, 
How far is that from you now? Oh, probably four or five hours from me. Close enough. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Close enough, Walden. You know. Which <laughs> night would you pick? Well. You may have I, a. I, 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 if I, it's too bad they're not on the same night, but I think Bob Dell and Paul McCartney would be an interesting combination. But I think they're different nights. Yeah. You know? um, my guess is those are their major draws. That's number one and number two. Well, and carrying them Rolling would Stone, damage their the, ticket the, sales. And the Rolling Stone is another, the other night. I mean, I'm talking about three na- big names. That's a hot one, yeah. You know, I mean, plus the, uh, the Who's is another one. I mean, there's six gigantic names in the rock and roll. Mm. Uh, I'll take Bob Dylan. You know. Hey, you, get off of my cloud. Yes, I'll take Bob Dylan. You know, he just uh, turned 75. Yep. And he sold his papers to to, uh, Tulsa University. Sold them? Yeah. I think for $10 million. Wow. I didn't know he sold them. I thought he donated them, no, too. No, they bought it. Oh, my gosh. Well, they bought a treasure yeah. trove, but I, I think it was whiz. $10 million. Maybe I'm off, but it was in the millions. That, you well, know. let's go see. Walden, for they the have... moment, you're 62 degrees, so I'm going to go look for Bob Dylan. Sure. <laughs> did, did he have any ties to Tulsa? No, they just have the money. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but oh gosh! Okay, for you, Dan. Yes. How may I help you? And they had an either or. So you have personally collected, or the time you've been at the library. What's the largest fine somebody handed in it for an overdue book? The <laughs> largest monetary fine. Correct. Oh, I don't know. I. You, there's been time. There's been times when, like a a a child will bring in a book that they'll find in like their you know uh, parents you know library study uh-huh. yeah and you know the book will be something that we had discarded or you know we had taken out of the collection um, so we didn't really calculate a fine but. You know, I've seen people have brought books in that, you know, their parents might have bought at a book sale that, you know, that had been discarded from, you know, 40 or 50 years after the fact. So, do you forgive? You forgive? Is that what, what you're telling me? When it gets to a certain dollar number? Well, it gets to the point where, you know, the book was discarded, you know, one of these you know, long lost books. Yeah, but Patricia oh, Patricia loved books. She doesn't consider a dick card book as not having any value. Yes, yes. Right. You know, it, sometimes it will oh. be a book that we weeded and we've sold in a book sale. And then there's been times when we have just, you know. I you know, see, I see remember reading some years ago. Mm-hmm. And it sort of sounded like a Paul Harvey story where. Somebody had an overdue book for 37 years. Yeah. And the fine was over $1,000. You think the library would collect on that? Um, I don't know. I mean, most libraries that I've worked for, you know, we we don't keep 
you know, this fine going after a while. We we used to have, during Thanksgiving week, we would have a grace week where if you brought back an overdue book, we wouldn't charge you a fine. We just wanted the books back. So did that work? It did work. Ah. We did get several books back, you know, like uh, during that time period. Mm-hmm. That was a very noble. I thought it was a very noble gesture. So, in other words, could I say to be safe, unofficially? Yes. This is unofficial. Yes. Would the library maybe consider put a cap on maybe thirty, forty bucks? Uh, we we typically do. You know, usually um, there'll be a, the cost of the book plus you know a processing fee. Shipping and handling for nineteen ninety five. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> nineteen ninety five plus eighty eight dollars shipping. <laughs> many libraries. <laughs> many libraries simply write off the book and just take it out of their files and say it's never coming back and either replace it or it would not have been replaced because it was out of date or whatever libraries yes. discard books. I don't know, but they do. Oh, Have me, you ever done oh, that? Weeding. Do you just write it off? Uh-huh. I mean, it's called weeding, you know, something that, you know, books, you know, have a, a shelf life. You know, medical mm-hmm. will go out of <laughs> those. That's cool. A shelf life. I What's on a shelf life? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, yeah. it gets to the point where, you know, a, a medical book, you know, things change. Exactly. You know, yeah, more so yeah, than no. with, okay. you know, fine literature. Yeah, but wouldn't it, be, yeah, but wouldn't, wouldn't it be a few books in the library that could that could stand up for the testament of time and be should be there forever and ever and ever and ever and never well, out of never discarded out of the uh, the Daniel file? It just depends on this on the topic, you know. A, a medical book, you know, for the most part, will things will change over it. You know, at least you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years. Yeah, but if my book called my my grandmother home my grandmother home remedies, I can't say that word tonight, can I? Remedies? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) See, I agree with Walden, and I know the direction he's going in. A medical book that is out of date today is a historic treasure in the future. Yes. Yes, I, I agree with. How do you choose? I see what you, how do you choose the historic treasures from the ones that are going to be ho hum fifty years from now? Yes, yes. Well, you know. How do you do that? In a, in a, in a small public library, you know, you have only so much room, and do you keep an out of date medical book, or do you let that fall on the, you know, the responsibility for you know? more of like the Library of Congress or uh, university. Well, she whiz. Okay, okay. Are there some books that would never, ever be out of style in the library that you... Well, I think your, I think your classic fiction, you want to keep that, you know, for the most part. So Mark Twain should be there forever, right? Exactly. Mark Twain should be there forever. You know, but not necessarily in the format you've got so you might you might discard a Mark Twain book but replace it with a Mark Twain book correct 
correct? Correct. correct. Yes, correct. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. You can't replace the the old medical stuff. Can't do it. Can't Unless do you it. heist the Library of Congress. I'm not good on heists, but I'll be glad to help. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so what have you got so, coming up this week that will make you smile? What have we got coming up this week that will make me smile? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> are, are you going to park any cars tomorrow? Park cars tomorrow. Uh-huh. Park cars where? Oh, in Indianapolis. Oh, oh, no. no. Oh, That's I the Indy 500 Indy. coming off. Yeah, yeah I thought you, made, you could pick up a few bucks by parking people cars or something. I probably could uh, get a few books by renting out my house because I hear that there's like no hotel rooms in Indianapolis. There's no hotel rooms. I think people are driving all the way down to Louisville and uh, for hotel rooms. Wow! Like well, Fort you Wayne. could probably make money retrieving their cars for them. Probably could. Yeah, they're, they're going to be parking uh, in Georgia for gosh sakes. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think hotel prices would go for around the track? It, it gotta go for a few bucks, don't you think, Dan? Oh, I would think so. Yeah. What what is okay. what is unique about this Indy 500? Um, it's the only one we're going to have in 2016. Well, you're right about that. I'm, I'm looking for lo- something I'm, a little I'm more going, unique. I don't. Um, I don't know. They 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 didn't change the or did they change the track in any way? Nope, they haven't changed the track. Okay. Uh, are, we, are we getting pretty close to the 100th running of the of the race? It is the 100th anniversary of the uh, of the race, but there's something even more unique than that. Huh? Well, well, I don't no? know. I do I don't not know. know. Okay, this is from a sports point of view. Yeah. Okay. The Indy 500 has not been a sellout for many, many years. Right. And, and they have always blacked out the Indy 500 from local television because uh, there was a rule that said that they couldn't show the Indy 500 live in Indianapolis unless it was a sellout. So this is the and first time we'll have live, live Live viewing of the race on television. Well, how do they classify a show? Are they going by seat, seats, right? Because, you know, you got that grandstand area. You got those. I mean, that place can hold it, a half million people or something, right? Uh, 300,000. They're expecting 300,000 tomorrow or Monday for the Indy 500. I wonder what tickets are going for. I'm trying to find it. As soon as, soon as we're talking, attended, wow. <clears throat> and all I'm getting is sold out, sold out, sold out. So I will have to see if I can you find it. Maybe you can go, go on uh, StubHub or something. That's where you can see what the uh, the secondary market going for. Well, let's see. May 18th, 2016, Indy 500. <sighs> oh, you two have to keep talking okay, because um, I'm... Here's I'm a good trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was hearing this over the weekend. What family have won the most Indianapolis 500 races and how many? Oh, gee. That's oh, gee. Not, not the Petty family. Um, 
Unther? Yes, the Unthers. How many how many t races have that family won? I think I'm thinking five. It's more. More than five. Yeah. I was surprised when I heard the number this weekend. Uh-huh. Is it less than ten? Yes. <laughs> very, good, very good, Dan. Is it bigger than a bread box? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is it seven? It's more. More than seven? Wow. More than seven, less than ten. Yes. You're getting close. I'll say eight and a half. <laughs> oh, you're in between. You're in between eight and a half and ten, Dan. <laughs> Nine? Nine. <laughs> and, <laughs> between eight and How do you win a half a race? <laughs> Good old Walden. <laughs> and, 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 Good old Walden. And, and so, the, you know, the Andretti family is really famous, right? Mm-hmm. How many total 500 do you think the Andretti family have won? Gee, I think their track records are not centered on the Indy. I'll say five. You're both high. Both high. I'll Three is high. One. Three is high. So it would be two? You're high, Dan. Still high. I said one. Just one, but you're Patricia's absolutely correct. I wow. said one a million years ago. I'm sorry. You didn't pay attention I'm sorry. to me. I'm sorry. Oh, it's all right. But the, that famous <gasps> racing family have only won the 500 just one time. That's amazing. I mean, the Andretti's are really hot racers. Yep. It's, it's a hot racing family. But I didn't think that they were big in Indy, and I was right. She knows, mm -hmm. Patricia knows her stuff. Besides covering no, golf. No, I don't. Besides I know my guess is good. Besides covering golf, she'll cover auto racing, too. So we'll put that on her resume. Yes. For, for someone who doesn't know that much about sports, she knows quite a bit about sports. <laughs> What? Whatever paid the bills is sort of what we think. <laughs> what? Well, you are Miss ESPN. You cover golf. And <laughs> That's right. <laughs> New Jersey Bill gave me that. He did. All right. Indianapolis. Let's see. Month, day, and year. We are. Today is the 28th, right? And tomorrow is the 29th. So we'll say in date. Um, so is your neighbor back there? Is he going to see back home in Indiana? I haven't heard either way. I, I, you know, he retired, and I don't know if he'll make a special appearance or not. It would be nice if he would, but I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure how his health is or anything like that. But he sure spent a number of years singing. Boy, he should have been home. the. Uh, he should have been the flag waver, really, for that that great song. Uh huh. Yes, that's right. That's right. Was he hmm. 86 when he quit singing at the Indy 500? I think so. I think so, yeah. 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 So, uh, what else in terms of music? Get back to your music. Yes, back to my music. Yes, back to your music. Yes. Are there good jazz or big bands or uh, what? What kind of what kind of music is Indiana slash Kentucky? You think, of course, Kentucky, you think of country a little bit, but that whole... Well, yeah, I mean, you know, bluegrass, I mean, you know, you, you know, Bill Monroe, uh -huh. bluegrass, uh -huh. yes, uh-huh, yeah. 
Indiana, um, I think it, mm, I think there was a recording studio in, in Richmond, Indiana called Gannett. Right. I, and they had a lot of the early, you know, uh, musicians come by there and record. So I think we just had, you know, quite a varying music background in Indiana, at least. You have a oh, lot. Of, you have like so a, we, you have a lot of music summer festivals throughout yeah. the summer. Uh huh. There, there's different music fests here, but uh, you know, we we have you know a lot of rock, a lot of rock and rollers here in uh-huh. in the area. You know. We have up there at Seymour, you've got John Mellencamp. New Albany had Henry Lee Summers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've, we've done quite well with the musicians here over the years. What about classical music? Is there an Indianapolis orchestra or symphony or, or mm-hmm. anything, anything in Kentucky in terms of classical music? Uh, yeah, well, in Louisville, there's the Louisville Orchestra. Okay. In uh, Bloomington, there's the IU Symphony. Okay. I believe Indiana, I think Indianapolis also has a symphony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I think we just have a very music career, uh, you know, taste around here. Mm-hmm. How about out there? Oh, pretty pretty much you can get almost all of it here, you know. Um, you know, I think the next big thing here is the Newport Jazz Festival coming up, and then. And that's a yearly uh, show, isn't it? Yeah, pretty pretty. Been going big. on for what about forty years? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have you know there's always seem to be some major music festival during one of the major holidays. Uh-huh. And, you know, um, one, one, of the, one of the fun things is, is, you know, to see the old orchestras, classical music will perform at some of the presidential libraries there. And just, you know, very, it can be a very patriotic weekend coming up to 4th July or, or whatever. So it's always nice to get a big old brass section out there. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Patricia? Have you put the dollar number on, on Dan's ticket? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm at the Hyatt Regency, which is a pretty high end. Uh-huh. Four stars is high end. Yeah. You can get a cheaper price if it's only got one star. Okay. I don't think so. I think bugs come with one star. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, you have to pay extra for the bugs. The Hyatt is <clears throat> selling one night. I put in the 29th, which is race day, and the 30th, so one night. And it comes out to five hundred dollars, non-refundable. Well, that's cheap. Five hundred. Uh, did I tell you? I, you know, I'm really surprised that they even have any. They've got this really weird icon. Oh no. Okay, it's just a picture of the room. Very good. Oh, it's four point oh out of five. Got it. All right. Um. You can book now on TripAdvisor. Anyway, four ninety nine is the uh, is the hot deal. Do we get breakfast with that? Well, there is one with breakfast for five nineteen. Okay. Are you interested? Uh huh. You have to pay now, 
and oh. it's non-refundable if you can't get there. Okay, Dan, can you, you got a credit card handy and give it Patricia? We'll we'll be right over. <laughs> <laughs> I think you ought to just uh, reconsider. Okay. Yes. How are you going to get there? Are you going to fly there? Uh, I better start flapping now. <laughs> I'm going to get there in time. Yeah. How much do you think? think how much do you think a room in Louisville near the Derby cost? Did I? Did I my my guess would be my wow. guess. My guess would be about a grand. You think? Really that high? I think so. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's the sport of kings. I mean, I I yeah, bet you I bet you get more high rollers for the Derby than you probably do for the Indy After Five Hundred. Are you familiar with the Crown Plaza brand? I I am because we uh, over the years our our um, Spurvac used to put our conventions at the Crown Plaza. So yeah, it's now I okay. think uh, I think it's now part of the Holiday Inn. Okay, how about a uh, Four Points by Sheraton? Yes, Larry Larry Gassman works for the Marriott and they own that. So. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, you are correct. They were wanting $1,000 a night at those two locations do we, with a three-night with a three night minimum. Okay. Do we get Dayland tickets with thrown in the deal? Well, I've I, I got this page that is clearly lying because I put in Derby 2016 hotels, and that's what came up. It says... Kentucky Derby 2016 Lodging Options. Now, I don't know when they put this up, but the Holiday Inn is $89. Ooh. The Hilton Garden Inn, this is, these are in Louisville, 69 Four Point Ramada Airport, which is um, 1.2 miles from Churchill Downs, is $79. I, I think... These are come-ons, you know, bait-and-switch type stuff. Well, I mean, the, really, $69? Maybe these are normal prices, except for the height of the derby season. Oh, yeah, now, here's I, a I, rotten hotel that has a poor listing. It's only two out of five stars, mm. and it's listed as poor, but you can get it for 40 bucks. If we're going to spend $1,000 a night, I would hope we get the presidential suite or something. You know, you probably, you spend a probably ought to look. A night, you better have probably, a lot of company. Yeah, you probably ought to look for 2017 since the Derby has already happened. <laughs> that will probably give you more accurate figures. Okay, well, okay, now, I, Dan, I will do Dan, that. would you rent your house for a thousand dollars a night? Uh, yes, I would. Okay. We just With have, a we just got three night your, minimum. We just got to find you a place to stay, right? If we did that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so do you know what the date is in... The first that? Saturday in May. So, what was... Next year would be... I'm, I'm looking here. I'm looking. Oh, it's not the, the, be the calendar first, on the... It'll be the 1st of May, I think. Yeah, the calendar doesn't six. go that high. It quits at March. Dan said the 6th. It will be Hyatt the Regency. Let's see. What's Five, the Hyatt six. Regency? Yeah. Oh, that's Indianapolis. Never mind. Now, uh, you, you'll probably want a room for the 5th going in uh, with a checkout of the 6th. All right. Okay. That's for 6th of 2017. Okay. That'll be Derby 2017 Hotels. Got it. 
Hotel of Mir, okay, Kentucky Derby Hotel Packages, 2017 Derby Tickets, Travel and Lodging, 2016 Derby Tickets, Hotels Package. All right, let's see this. Sports Traveler, that should give us good information, right? Um, let's see, my wish list, sports events, we want Derby Confirmation, buy tickets, Derby Packages. Well, oh, we're not going. <laughs> we're just not going more than, to be there. More than $89 a night, I guess. It's more than $89 a night, yes. Um, they've got three-night packages. I don't see overnights in here, so I'll have to go to a different place. But three-night packages begin at 1300 and they go to 2500 for three nights, so... Well, you know, how much it, you know how much it costs to get a horse entered into the Derby, right? Well, yeah, you t- you said, but I forget. Fifty grand. That's all. That's all. So I mean, at the at the entry fee, you have to get in. They're all advertising packages. So see, if if you have that kind of money, Patricia, you might stay. If I had that kind of money, I'd buy the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> You need to pick out a ho- uh, horse and we'll put it in the derby. What would you name your horse, Patricia? You had a race horse. <laughs> what would you name your horse? Oh, give me a couple of minutes to think about that. That's a great question. Okay, Dan. It would be cute. Dan, you have a horse going in the derby. What would you name? What would you name it? Well, see, you've got trouble there. I mean. Yeah, you could name a horse, and it would already be a name that's already been chosen. I mean, yeah, but see, nobody would have Pansy. Pansy? Yeah. <laughs> I can tell your enthusiasm for all of this. Yes, Pansy. Okay. I, I just wondered why you're naming your horse Pansy. You like because it power? has to be cute. Cute? You know, I mean, puff doesn't work in a horse. There is no cuteness in racing. There is no cuteness in racing. No cuteness in a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, Wait. Rosie Greer, for goodness sakes, had a flower name. Yes. Do you want a uh, cute horse or a wing- winning horse? Just a horse horse. Just a horse I mean, horse. It, uh, the horse doesn't know the name is cute. I don't know. They're awfully smart animals at times. Hmm. Okay, I'll have yeah, to rethink this. Speaking of animals. Yes. Yes. You heard what Yellowstone National Park is working on now for people who attend the park to protect themselves? To protect themselves from bugs bears. or bears? Bears. Bears, Okay. <clears throat> and they're giving courses, or they're they're, they're selling courses stuff. How to use the product? How to use mace? It's similar. Pepper spray. It's not pepper spray. Called bear spray. Bear spray. Bear spray. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. What dates am I? What dates am I booking for here? May fifth and sixth of two thousand seventeen. 
Okay, Friday. That would be Friday and Saturday. Is that what you want? Yeah. Dan with yeah. Okay. Dan with that. Okay, and then we leave. Okay, Dan. And then, Dan's gonna book it, and then he'll flip it. You know, he'll 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 make some money on his side. Okay. So should I just let's see? Tell me now. It's only got one room, two adults. It doesn't let us have one adult, so we'll just have to do that. Let's see. Search. Search. We have to put how much money we want to spend in here. <laughs> Up to $2,000. This is a clue. <laughs> <laughs> this is a clue. Oh, call Bill and right. get the credit card number for yesterday, USA. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Bill can go to the horse race. All right. And it says, this cannot be right. (laughs) Oh, yes, it can. $118? I don't think so. Book it now. We can make some money on it. We can can resell it out. It says, oh, wait. That's even, oh, maybe because I put in May 28th instead of May 6th. Hold on. All right. Let's see here. One room, two adults, no children, and $118. No. I think we're booking too quickly. Either that or we should grab it and let Dan resell it early that week. I think he got. I think we got an opportunity to make some money on the side. I, I think, think so. so. We I can buy so. all the hotel rooms I, in 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 Louisville. No, in uh, near Churchill Down, and see what we could flip it for. And we have free cancellation before May second. Well, so we're, if we're, you don't find a flipper, <laughs> or a flippy, as the case may be, okay, a superior two bedroom apartment. For hundred and eighty three dollars a night. You could stay there yourself and sell out part of it. Exactly. This is really good. Yes. Okay, should I book? <laughs> we'll say our last room. <laughs> We've got our last room, our last three rooms. <laughs> you know, as they do on the internet booking sites. They will try to create urgency because they've only got one room left for next year. This is good. Right. Oh, and you get dry cleaning and laundry service, an elevator. Oh, isn't that great? Free Wi-Fi, which certainly should be, and a car, uh, you know, a, a parking space. Oh, parking it does space. not say anything about breakfast. It does not say anything about coffee pot, refrigerator, in-the-room type stuff. Hmm, maybe I'd, uh, whatever. Just carry in a box of Cheerios. <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit better than that. <laughs> I have to. Have, I, I got class. I got to have coffee. I have class and culture. Okay. So our theme for tonight, and by the way, it was individuals who bought the Bob Dylan collection for between fifteen and twenty million, and they bought it for the university. Um, fifteen to twenty. They might have a few dollars. Yeah, but be. I don't know who got it. Who, 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 who? Did Bob Dylan get all of it? It had to have been brokered. So he's well, not going to get the it, whole That thing. was Bob Dylan's personal collection that they Correct. bought. But I yes. imagine your broker probably picked up a few bucks on the side. Yeah. I wonder, 
Mm-hmm. I wonder just how many papers that included. I can't see Bob. It was a lot, and it's notebook. it's got notebooks, um, 1960s coffee-stained fragments that he was still working on, um, little red notebook, artwork. Oh, my goodness. The little spiral notebooks that fit into your pocket, mm-hmm. uh-huh. there are several of them in the collection, and boy, did he write tiny. So it's they are jammed with stuff. They are jammed. When I write in one of those, I take two lines to write a, a, you know, a, a word, or it, it always tips over into a second line because the space is so tiny. He got two lines in each line. Wow. I know. I don't know how he Why can this? read it. Amazing. But anyway, it says 15 to 20 million. I'm wondering what is the biggest buy that a library ever bought. I'm, I'm, I'm not. And I'm not talking about artwork. You know, the famous. You know, if you get into paintings and things, those are million. You know, those yeah. Are, yeah, that's off the top. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just wondering. Over the top. I'm wondering if there's oh. anything else in the Bob Dylan dollar number that would even be close. I've never heard of, heard of anything. No, no, and it looks like from here, um, it, it looks like this is the top top of the line. Hmm. Well, he's getting to the age he needs to, he probably needs the extra dollars. He does. I heard on the radio, the only time I listen to the radio is when I'm out in the car, so sometimes I miss pieces of information. He was in a city or a locality, I'll call it. I don't know if it was a city, excuse me, where he was going to give a concert. And he was out walking at night, I guess, on the way home from the 7-Eleven. He got arrested for vagrancy. I heard that, too. Isn't that incredible? Because he, I mean, he he just dressed scruffy and maybe needed to shave. I don't know, but... (laughs) They don't even ask for identification. They just say, get in the car. Who would believe it was Bob Dylan anyway? Yeah, that would be And if you walked down the street and said, my name is Bob Dylan, and I wrote all these wonderful songs, how many people would believe you? I hope none, but they would. Right. They would. Did I tell you you about my Robert De Niro story? No. I don't think so. I don't remember hearing it. Okay. Well, a couple years back... During Derby season, um, I heard this one fellow was out at our casino. At that time, it was a Caesars casino. And it was Friday evening. You know, he was in this bar. He was just hanging out, having a drink. And he, there was another fellow in the bar. And... They got to talking, and this fella, after talking with this guy for a few minutes, discovers this fellow is famous, and it ended up being Robert De Niro at our casino, just hanging out, having a drink, and the man said, oh my goodness, Mr. De Niro, I'm a huge fan of yours. And De Niro said, well, I really appreciate that, but how about tonight? Let's just be two guys in the bar talking about nothing. Isn't that great? I have always heard that he left his ego somewhere 
in on a mountain or in the desert and just mm-hmm. travels around without it. Yes, yes. I think he just wanted to get away from the mm-hmm. of Hollywood. Awesome. I, 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 I got a bar story for that my dad have. Uh-huh. My dad had two cousins, elderly cousins, or whatever elderly was back in the fifties today, you know. And they wanted to enjoy the hot springs yeah. of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I was at two Chicago Coins New Mexico. So my dad drove them down. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing happening in Truthful Consequences, New Mexico. And at that time, once a year, for one week, the Truthful Consequences show would come over to film a series of the t- of the shows. Uh-huh, yes. So my dad was in the bar, and guess who sat, in, sat down with my, my dad? With Bob Barker. And really? that's what... My dad and Bob just went around the bar to close them that night. Cause Bob said there was just nothing to do. He couldn't wait to get home. So that, <laughs> that, but that's what that's what happened. So it does happen yeah. that way. And, and Bob was probably married to Dorothy Joe at that. Probably point. right. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I think I think I think people around here, you know, understand that, you know. Being a movie star, director, or whatever, musician, when you get right down to it, they're still human beings, mm-hmm. and they don't want to be on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They just want to hang out and just like anyone else, hang out and talk with people, or, you know, just... Oh, I have a brand new John Wayne story for both of you that I just oh. wrote this week. Yeah. Patricia, you with me? I'm here. Right. Um, John Wayne has a son named Ethan, who uh-huh. who is out hitting the radio circuit because it was proposed that the state of California should have a John Wayne Day. Oh, really? And it was voted by the state of Washington branch, and the state of California voted no because they thought John Wayne shot too many Indians in the movies. Oh, my goodness. So... So, so, the city of Newport Beach, where John... Oh, in California. <laughs> the, city of, <laughs> the city of Newport Beach, which is next door to me, where John Wayne, you know, lived, is decided to do the opposite. So, at least the city of Newport Beach is going to have a John Wayne day. So I'm happy. Yeah. Only in California. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's okay. Florida wouldn't even think of it, so I have to give you credit for that. So maybe we can get Ethan Ethan Wayne on and talk about about John Wayne. John Wayne that would be fun. <laughs> that that would be fun. We're gonna have to have to because we we started show show time so late tonight. We're going to have to move a little bit faster, Dan. I'm so sorry, but oh, I fun. want to know um, commemorating Memorial Day. Talk to me about that. Uh-huh. What what I do or what... Do what you do, what you did as kids, what it means uh-huh. to you, which is a whole lot more than a barbecue and a hot dog in the backyard. Sure. Yeah, you usually go by the cemeteries, put fresh flowers on the stones, and then you do uh, that? hang out with the family and have a 
cookout or something like that. Uh-huh. I've heard but a very you, moving... You, you heard... go out and you put flowers near the gravestones. I love it. Thank you for doing that, yeah. Dan. I heard a very interesting story this weekend by a group of high school kids. I don't know if you guys read the story, probably on Google. They have read, have gone, they were studying acid rain at the class project, and they went out to the cemetery, and they were looking for the Civil War, and they couldn't find a name, so they have gone out and got all new headstones. That way people could see the names of the Civil War people. And heroes. Yeah. I think that is great. The, I read a piece, and of course everything is on the Internet is true, but it, it was just a, a short paragraph that uh, the flags on the graves of the soldiers who had died was started by a group of Boy Scouts. Uh-huh. I, for many, many years, is that correct? Uh, for many, many years, I go, we go out and put flags out on... Uh, the local cemetery, and many mm-hmm. times they're always packed and packed of Boy Scouts. Doing yeah. That. Well, this this was years and years ago. The first the first marking of flags, uh, you know, the marking of the graves with flags, was started by a Boy Scout wow. troop, and it took off from there. Where people thought, "My gosh, you know, we should have been doing this all along," and it just grew from that one single group who decided this was the right thing to do. There was a story this week. Um, who who taking over for Charles Kowalf on the road? I guess some Aww. guy named Steve Harmon. Harmon or I think you're Harman. right. I I can't remember his name, but I do know that they are restarting that that. Uh... He went and found a a a Vietnam vet. Uh-huh. Who remarkable? He was. Uh, he was discovered. He he was he was thought he was they he was left for dead in uh-huh. Vietnam, yeah. and we put in a body bag. Yes. And somebody had an idea to test each bag just to make sure it was all. And this, this, his reflexes showed he was still alive. And mm-hmm. so he's often sort of wondering why is he still here. And that got him thinking about. Going to he all the guys who he served with to put flowers on Memorial Day, and it's gotten to the point. It was the first day he, the first time he did it, it cost him eight thousand dollars out of his own pocket to buy flowers. Wow! And now he's gotten to the point with other people help. He's only decorating entire wings, and I guess huh? he figured out that's why he's still here to sort of help commemorate his buddies. Sure. Who he lost at Vietnam? Yeah, I. You were saying, what did we? What did I do this week that made me smile? Mm-hmm. Uh, Corden is a stop for the uh, the uh, run for the wall. Uh, yes. For motorcyclists. Yes. And uh, they came through Corden uh, Tuesday night, and then they left early Wednesday morning. A friend of mine, she uh, runs a little coffee shop, Shirley Gibson. And uh, she uh, made coffee for the men as they uh, left. I think she made like five, like water jugs full of coffee. Wow! And um, and I stopped at Walmart and I bought three dozen uh, batches of cookies for the men. And 
just a time over for the coffee. Wow. Uh, they left, uh, I think, about 7.20. They uh, went and stopped at the uh, VA in Louisville and met with some of the men. So, but, uh, yeah, that, they stopped here overnight on the Tuesday after, uh, the Tuesday before Memorial Day on the way to Washington. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Found for your phone here. We'll try again. And you are going to have a wonderful weekend. And thank you for doing such a nice thing with the flowers and remembering our soldiers. Thank you, Dan. Oh, sure. And then have a good time with your family. Yes, you do the same. Hope you all have a great weekend, and um, hopefully we'll talk next week. We will. Excellent. Thank you, Dan. Take care. Bye-bye. Anyway. Someone okay. for... I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> what? Seven. One. Four. Five. You're making four, me nuts here. Five. Two. Oh, I'm going to be a crazy person. Good night, Walton. Seven, one. Hi, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> oh... I'll do it. Can I do it? Yes. He was trying to say 714-545-2071, but his mission in life, just for this week only, is to make me crazy. I've never done that a day in my life. (laughs) (laughs) But I have a surprise for you. I'm already there. Oh, well. Okay. Well, I've got some day stuff, and we have your questions, and I've got, oh, I have a report on our injured eaglet. Oh. He's doing fine. He still needs help eating, but he actually is using his broken leg. They pinned it and, you know, did all their emergency stuff, and he's starting to use it, and except for having, you know, needing help eating his fillets of fish and stuff like that there. He's he's gaining weight, and he's a little over 8 pounds now, which is almost normal. And um, I'm happy to be able to say that because he was so sick. And some people didn't think he was going to make it, but our eaglet is doing well. I don't know what his future is, though. He can, He's healthy, so he'll he'll be able to fly. Yeah. But when they let him loose, where is he going to go? Motel six. I don't know. So I don't know if the young ones follow their parents, or because they have already fledged and flying on their own, they just go by themselves by instinct. I truly do not know. I don't know so much. Did you hear the interesting fish story for the week? A year ago, a guy caught a tiger shark. Okay. I think it weighed like I think twelve hundred to fourteen hundred pounds. They they're they're very big. I I don't know how big they can get, but I know they can get big. A year later, the guy mm-hmm. caught the same shark. Oh no! <laughs> the reason why Using I know the same bait and the same location yeah. isn't that. That's remarkable. Yeah, it's like and it's like two thousand miles away or something. But the the reason why they know it's the same shark because 
He got the t- the tag on him. They tagged it. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's almost as good as Tracy O'Connell's grandfather being in the same fraternity that Tracy joined, and they didn't <laughs> know each other's preference for fraternity yeah. until Tracy said, "I just joined a fraternity." But I, you know, two thousand miles in the same shark in an ocean. I think that one takes it. Well, You're I don't right. know if that's a round trip wow. or whatever. They, but, but somehow they were saying a 2,000 mile was involved, so it had to be something like that. That's a pretty interesting story. Or maybe I, truck, I would con- you know. Like, yeah, I, I would consider that very. That's in the very interesting pile. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. All right. So let me let me see here. I've got some what kind of days are here today and then I'm going to ask you which program had the worst music. I can tell you off the top of my head without any problem. Okay. Saturday, which was the day we started and for you it's still Saturday. It's International Jazz Day. Ah. Isn't that very, interesting? Very good. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Now, <laughs> some of these are a little wacko. Sunday is Learn About Composting Day. How to make compost. Oh, that's all pretty natural. Okay. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Okay. And then, of course, uh, Monday is Memorial Day. Yeah. And it is also Water a Flower Day. Walden, we've lost it in this country. The 31st, which is Tuesday, National Macaroon Day. You can live with that. I like macaroon cookies. I know you do. I think I think macaroons are only cookies. I've never heard it associated with any other food, just macaroon cookies. Yeah, I think you're right. You say, would you like a macaroon? It's automatically a cookie. I, I haven't. I, I think I've, you can eat it, you know, like nuts by itself, but you're the most what you always hear about. Oh, that, that's macadamia. Oh, okay. Yeah, macaroon, I think, is is just cookie. The macadamia is very expensive and is grown in Hawaii and is a wonderful nut. It's good. Good stuff. Okay. It's Savior. This is still the 31st. Savior Hearing Day and World No Tobacco Day. How do you think that one's going to take off? Uh, They're still working on it. Okay. I think so. That's the end of my goofy list. And some of it is goofy. Mm. Water a flower day? Well, made people forget. <laughs> they need a whole, a whole day <laughs> to remember. Okay. All right. So um, before I get to anything else that I think is really good, especially the Memorial Day information, I want you to tell me which show you think had the best or the worst music. Um, okay. You're talking about all radio show, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, she don't. <laughs> There's more. Uh, yep. I wanted to quit. What I, was that? I, I, now, uh, I think the bridge music. Um, I'm not talking about the opening theme, but the bridge music mm-hmm. for the six shooter is wonderful. Really? I really think that's really top. I'm notch. going to have to go listen. I can't conjure it in my brain. Yeah, it, the, the the opening is for lonesome. But mm-hmm. it, but if you listen to all the different bridge, it's, it's a lot of variety and it's just a wonderful uh, music 
bridge. I just, I would have loved to find out music. Um, That's so, really interesting. It, were, were they different from week to week or just different they had a, a at different large, points during the show? They had a large library. So, mm-hmm. you, it, so just depending on the mood or whatever, they would get into it. But it's just, it's just a wonderful array of music. I, I, I also, I, I also like the, I also like the opening French horns, of French, French two German. Mm-hmm. I, I think, that's, mm-hmm. and we have all the bass, we have all the music for French two German, and the closing of Have Gun Will Travel. The radio version, Not I like that. Not the opening so much, but the closing. Yeah, with the guitar. I, yes, yeah. yes. I I think that is really good. Really good. Okay, how about the worst? Do you always find about, the best about, stuff? How about Speed Gibson? I have to go check that one now, too. <laughs> Not exactly on my frequent listener list. Yeah. I, I would I would say that would be Gibson. Okay, Speed Gibson would be in there. Does that? Which one has an airplane in it? That's it. I guess several of them. That, that's is, the is one. Is that with, Speed Gibson? Uh, yep. Meow. <laughs> <We> can, <laughs> that's worse. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> now the salmon bear music is a little uh, is a little long. Tells you how long the commercial might have been. Mm-hmm. Um. Fu Manchu is another one. Yeah. With huge, yeah. you must have two minutes of a show and and fourteen minutes or thirteen minutes of the intro outro. Mm-hmm. It just goes forever. They must have depended on people to sell three or four minutes of advertising for that particular show. I Had to have been two minutes at the beginning, two minutes at the end, at least. I you know I think um, especially in the fifties because maybe it was. Six guns. I mean, six to six out so much. In the early fifties, I think in order to say money, NBC had a, a library, a, a, a music library, and you can almost mm-hmm. hear the same version on different series and different shows. They're really hmm. cutting back, I guess. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, I had the worst, and you know exactly what it is. I do not. It's the Kingsmen. Anything that the Kingsmen <laughs> sang in Fibber McGee and Molly wins my worst award. Those guys just hurt my ears. I know a lot of people love them, but it's painful for me to listen to them. As I say, you have the most delicate ears in the family. You're, you're, you're well, very delicate. I don't know about delicate. It's my It's my taste or... Maybe it is my ears. I think it is your ears because I think there's some really good music that you're just you you are deprived because of your of your ears. <laughs> I'm deprived. Yeah. <laughs> you, well, you, uh, the whistling stuff. I heard several shows this week mm-hmm. that had whistling in it. I think Bulldog Drummond was one. It, did did Bulldog Drummond have some whistles in it? I don't remember Bulldog, but Richard Diamond did at the beginning of some of his. Oh yeah, well we could live without that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a huge. Oh, okay, Richard let me Diamond. ask you this. Here's another show with But I've listened to two of them this week. The Saint The Saint always opened with a whistle. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And 
of all the whistles, that one is the least irritating to me. Interesting. Probably the range. Maybe. Yeah. It's a Maybe. Low, it's a low and the, and the most irritating is the whistler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is the name of the show. <laughs> Never thought of that. <laughs> I hate the whistler because of the whistle. Oh, dear. Okay. All right. Well, I, I don't know about the best. One that I really look forward to. Mm, I don't know. It's, it's just when I looked at my own question, uh-huh. I said it's got to be the Kingsman on Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, let me ask now, you Billy this. Mills what, what was kind of wonderful. Music? I would, yeah. Thought, hmm? yeah, what kind of music would you be in the mood to listen to? Right now? Or anything. Oh, see, it changes from day to day. Right now, because we were talking about Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. I could handle some Bob Dylan right now. Yeah, well, I can't think of any folk music radio shows that help help you all on that. Oh, the no, they wouldn't do that. So you're talking exclusively old-time radio music. Yeah. Well, I was, th- I was thinking, yes, that's what I was asking you about, old-time radio music. Okay, what I, what I could handle right now. Well... I should have paid more attention to the shows I was listening to. Data caller, I got one more question to ask Patricia, and then we'll go yeah, to you. Yeah, the um, I, I think Have Gun Will Travel. That's good. I like that. Um, my last my question before we go to a caller. Mhm. Who do you think? Who? What music group? What? Who was the best folk music group of all time? Folk music group. Folks. Uh-huh. Wow. The folk era. The Bob Dylan era, that that whole yeah. genre. Yeah, not not Peter Paul and Mary were great. But that's what no. I think. I think Peter. Both, they, it, I, think, I I would pick Joan Baez. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get, I just love the way Mary sings, and they come, you know, get you know the John Denver song, get you know going home on a jet plane. I just mm-hmm. that's just a wonderful yeah. sound. They they were great, and maybe I'll pick something different next week. But for tonight, I would take Joan Baez. Anything by Joan Baez, who incidentally just had a 75th celebration on PBS. She is 75 years old. So are we going to get her on the show? Why not? Why don't you help help me find a, find her email or website or something? We'll go ask for. My goodness, wouldn't that be great? We can do anything. And, of I mean, course, she and she and Bob Dylan were really very close friends for a very long time. They had at least one falling out. I don't know what the status is now. You know, but they were very close friends for a long time. If we can have Margaret Truman so, and the Goldwater, Peggy Goldwater on the station, we, we could get John Baez. And the Statler brothers. Yes. Hello there, yes. Carl. You're on the air. Yes. Yes, yes. Good morning. Good morning. I, I saw the. Oh, tank. Paul. Okay, oh. I'm I'm on to, I'm on board now. You're on board now. I'm on board now. See, you folks, and I don't mean this individually with you. You trust my ears so well, and my ears fail, fail me so often, because unless somebody starts really getting into a conversation or says a word that I'm familiar with. I don't necessarily know who you are unless you tell I know, me. I, I, I know that, but I, 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 try to, I try to give you a little bit of a chance. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I, um, you know what, Paul? I know the answer. I know what we can do the next time. 
make a sign and say I'm Paul and 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 you know wave it while you make the call. Like we can okay. right. But you can, you see and I'm it. hanging up in the locker room of the blind <laughs> community. <laughs> Okay, well, if we're doing Skype, Carol, if we're doing Skype, I could do I told somebody about the pinup girl the other day. Uh-huh. He just, I think it was my dentist, and he just <laughs> lost it. You did good. You made him happy. Good. And he's got a broken leg, so he really needed to be happy. <laughs> well, Patricia, I just thought of this. When, uh, Walden, you said you really liked um, leaving on a jet plane. Mm-hmm. Well, Patricia, remember how you're you're supposed to like and do little bits of encouragement to get me to be, you know, going closer to playing my accordion. Yeah. Leaving on a jet plane is one of the songs that I like playing. On that. So, if I get to it, you know, and I could, and I don't feel completely foreign on it. I could work towards playing that for you, Walden. That'd be great. That's a good goal. Good goal. And smile for me. Yeah. You'll never let me go. Can you do Costa Magic Dragon? No, I don't. uh, It still does. Hmm? It still does make me cry. Poor Puff crawled into his cave, and he was never more. Just dried up because the boy stops coming to see him or something like that. Little Jackie. Little Jackie. I think his name was Paper. I've never read the lyrics, so I and I'm so I'm going phonetically. Little Jackie Paper. Um, oh, I was thinking maybe it was like Little Jackie Horn or something like that. But he came no more and puffed the magic dragon. Dragged who, his who tail into a cave. Who was the group that made that famous? I think it was Peter, Paul, and Mary. Was it? Yeah, I think so, yes. Yeah, that was the first time I heard it anyway. And and and, they, and people always said that it was supposed to be about uh, doing drugs, yeah. uh, you know, but... Never heard that. Oh, please. Not puff. Yeah. So. <laughs> Mary, had one the, Ma- yeah Mary, Mary had one of the sweetest voices, I think, of, of female singers. She had a... Yeah. Now I know she's gone. I don't. I don't know if the uh, both Peter and Paul are still with us, or or at least They're one still of them. with us. Are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, did she? Is she have anorexia, or is that um, Carpenter? That, that, that was Karen Carpenter. Yeah. But did she have a Peter Palmer? Did she have something like that? Believe me or something. No, no. Um, Nothing. I believe she died of cancer. Yeah. Oh. I'll take a look at that. Dragons live forever, but not so little boys. Painted wings and giant strings make way for other toys. One sad night it happened, Jackie Paper came no more, and puffed that mighty dragon, he ceased his fearless roar. Hmm. Jackie Paper, that's an interesting name. Hmm. Jackie Paper. You ever heard of somebody with the last name of Paper? No. Without his lifelong friend, Puff could not be brave. So Puff, that mighty dragon, sadly slipped into his cave. This is terrible. I was so happy tonight. <laughs> you were so happy tonight, but now you put it away for now. You know, I'll just put it away. For now. When do we coin folk music? I mean, that's true. It's just a 
a universal genre term. And you know what I mean? The 60s, yeah. The 60s when, when did we start? Is, yeah. It's different compared to, let's say, Bill Ives. You know, I think of Bill Ives as being uh, the folk singer of, of the 40s, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think of the guys of, of the 30s. The one that died very young. Um, Many of them died yeah, so young. Yeah, but he had a, a certain disease. An Arnold Guthrie. Uh, yeah. And, oh, uh, yes. Okay. What, what did he die of? He died of... It wasn't Lou Gehrig's, it was... Uh, Something mm. like that. But it's a yeah, it was un- uncontrolled muscle movement. And... Mm. All right. I've got more pages open for you guys here. Parkinson's? No. Some... I just... My brain is just not coughing I, up. I, I, I haven't thought of it in a long time, but yeah, it's a certain... Uh, and I think it, his son was doing some smoke work on a PSA about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. What is his son doing? His son was doing some commercial, some advertisement to talk about the... 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 the the disease. Oh, it, it just ran right through my head. Yeah. Um, had it, you had it? No, you don't. And it just screamed right through my head. I looked up several oh. of the rails, right? And um, wrote songs about America. Well, I think yeah, I think he wrote this land is my land. Mm-hmm. You know that, that he wrote that one for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. if we found the list, there would be one lot of ones that we would recognize. But you know, mm-hmm. before him, I don't know. Then I guess we, I guess if we talk to before him, I, I'm assuming like what we would call Stephen Foster and all those songwriters of the 1800s. That at that time, I guess would be considered folk music. I guess so. You know, I'm just trying to. trying to establish the uh Huntington's the Korea. Does that sound right? That's it. That's hey. the one and I it's not I, I, I coughed that up from my brain. Very good, Patricia. What is oh dear. Patricia? It's been a struggling week with stuff like that. Uh Huntington's Korea. C H O R E A. Huntington's Oh. It's, it's the name of a, of a doctor or the person who mm-hmm. yeah, finally identified the disease. It's Chorea, C-H-O-R-E-A. And that's the muscle disorder. And that's where you are. He, he just lost control of all his muscles over a period of time. And exactly. Couldn't walk. You can't. Yeah. You know, your muscles move, but they're absolutely uncontrollable. So they stop breathing then eventually? I don't know. I I really don't know. Um, I think eventually it. I'm not going to say probably because I don't know. I hate guessing. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, I mean, I, it's, I, it's um, the things are very very difficult. Uh, yeah, heart the muscle, you know, the lungs. That's what I was going to guess, but I do not know. So let us see here. Huntington's Korea can't be cured, but treatment may help. Requires. Uh, lab test chronic can last for years or a lifetime. Um, anyway, 
fatal genetic disorder that causes a progressive breakdown of nerve cells in the brain. It, deteriorate, it deteriorates a person's physical and mental abilities during their prime working years, and there is no known cure. So there are entire communities, not in the United States, but, for example, on one island, and because it's a genetic disorder, this is a natural thing in small communities that have close marriages, not necessarily intermarriages with uh, very yeah, close relatives, but because cousins. the genetic makeup is the same in, in all of these people, right. it gets passed from person to person, and eventually everybody has this disease, or almost everybody. Not everybody has it as a dominant gene, but once you get the uh, even the recessive genes, when they come together, you've got two people with the genes, it's almost inevitable that their children are going to have it. Well, let's first get this answered. Uh, did you say it's a fatal disease? Yes, eventually, yeah. Uh, but they didn't say what exactly is causing the death. Is it like we were wondering? And it, it says a, a chronic deterioration of the nerves in the brain, which is why you lose control of everything. Okay. Oh, my goodness. But, oh, my goodness. But, it really is an awful thing to have to deal with. Like, Not only for the person who has it, but for the for the people who share, you know, family members and and the family members, of course, unless they have genetic testing now, which is available and wasn't always, would have no idea if they had. Now, because it it emerges later in life, usually after age thirty five, you know, thirty five and forty in that in that area, sometimes even as much as fifty. Nobody even knows it's in the family. Well, what about the family? What's the very Say last that again, please. What was the very last thing you said? No, it, if the person who is is going to develop the problem or the disease is 50 years old when it happens, mm-hmm. their children have already married and had children of their own before they even realize that their family had a genetic disorder. Do they, um, are they in a place where, they're, where they have uh, been educated about all of this? So that, uh... Well, there is great education available and, you know, resources that are available. But again, if, you know, you don't have any close family members around you who might have at least given you a clue, and you're 50 years old, and you're married, and you have children who are old enough to have already had their children, you're passing genetically, genetically any one of those people might be a candidate for developing the problem, but there's no way to have checked because you didn't even know it was in the family until your father or your grandfather was 50 years old. And where where did you say something about Hawaii or some distant place where a lot of this macadamia is nuts are in Hawaii? Yeah, Hawaii. <laughs> that was the only that that was the mention. But there is an island or a, an intimate community somewhere that is used as an example of the genetic significance of this particular disorder. So. Right. I gotta okay. go to happier stuff. Can we go to happier stuff? Mm. <laughs> Alright, what's your favorite music on on all time radio shows, Paul? 
favorite music on old time radio shows. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm just as happier though, even though I'm not saying anything. That's okay. You, you, <laughs> yeah, well, we, you can pick the worst as well. Okay. Yeah. You it's know what? Um, okay. I I like uh, Gunsmoke music. I like that. In fact, I, I, Good I've, choice. Thought, I've thought about, um, you know, they don't do it in every single episode, but a lot of them, you know, like just before they start to do a scene, they just have a very simple accordion, uh-huh. right-hand music, only the accordion, something like... Yep. And then sometimes you hear a little, a little guitar... Fade out. Yeah. You know, I, I like that. Oh, that's good. And oh, I think that's a oh. very good choice. They really did an excellent job of matching good music with the right show. Yes. Hey, um, is it Ron and Hawaii? Is that, uh-huh. has the name right? Correct. We haven't heard from him for so long. Okay, you know what? The, I think I heard uh, um, an old recording, a uh, recording that was played on the Blue Network, and where he had phoned in to a guest. I think. Yep, because, uh, they, they are. Uh, we're, we're dying, I was tuning in. I'm trying to hear some things from 2010. So heard the same thing. Yeah, or, or I was. So our Patricia will be heard indefinitely, <laughs> forever. We're having, we're having but, replays of Patricia long after she's gone. But you heard Ron also, Walden? Did you hear him? Uh, I didn't hear him this week on the show, but I'm not surprised. Okay, well, I, I heard him, and I was going, what? Has he, you know, gotten that much better? You know, because he was... The same old perky self, yeah. Well, the last time, yeah. Yeah, last time we talked to him, he's getting better. I, I, I was very he was getting happy. better, yes. And it's interesting. I, when I was, <clears throat> excuse me, talking with my sister this week, I said, you know, gosh darn it, I have not sent Ron an email, and I meant to do it this week. So thank you for the reminder. I'll do it at the end of the show. And just let him know we're thinking of him. And I send we, uh, emails, too. They'll say they like that. If we wanted to email him, we would send it to you, Patricia? Yeah, I, no, I would send an email to Ron, and at the end I'll say something like, there's a hug enclosed here. And Ron's wife will write back and say, Ron and I love hugs. <laughs> so, oh, they're so sweet, such sweet people. So I will send an email tonight and tell him you were asking about him and that we're always thinking of him, and I'll enclose a hug. Yes, and if we wanted to write an email, would we forward it to you? Ms. Yeah, I think Florida that would be Wright? best, and then I will send it, you know, as soon as I get it, I'll forward yeah, it Patricia to put, Ron. Patricia will put new stamps on it and forward it. <laughs> right, that's good. <laughs> so just for anyone who's listening who might want to do that, it's floridawriter at hotmail.com. I will get it and forward it to Ron. What kind of writer are you? I am a Florida 
writer. But you had you are the W R I T E R. Yes, that that is correct. Thank you. One night, someone confirmed my email address with R I D E R at the end and thought I was a motorcycle rider. Yes, you've got so a really good Walden helps me be very accurate with writer. I am a writer. She writes yes. the great American novel every day. <laughs> right. Snoopy and I. <laughs> bless our hearts. Ron, we miss you, Ron. Yeah. We miss you so much. Patricia's still walking it with one stormy, dark night or whatever she's Oh, it was a dark and stormy night. I did. I had that last week. Did I read it to you last week? No, it was on the, the show that we did Monday, right? Yes. Yeah, when we did the Monday show, you read it. Yeah, so read it. I, I, I must read. Um, let's see. The notes from there. It was a dark and stormy night. And I had always wondered, you may recall from a couple of weeks ago, we were talking, it was a dark and stormy night when Chad mentioned the Bulwer-Lytton Award of the worst opening of anything, for, especially for a novel. And, I, you know, I look at this and I think it was a dark and stormy night. Well, you know, it might not be an award winner, but that's an okay opening, except that's not the whole opening. Those are the first words of the opening. Now, that's followed with a semicolon, which normally takes the place of a period. So I will allow him a period, but it's the only one that is in this paragraph. It was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals, when it was checked by a violent gust of wind, which swept up the streets, parentheses, for it is in London that our scene lies, close parentheses, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. That is the opening sentence of a book. It's a long one. The very, very... It it is now I understand why the entries into this contest, which was started by a college group, I should go back and and get the rest of the history. It's a a group of college kids in a a specific college, of course, who, who had a literary club, and they decided it would be fun just for the heck of it to have a contest who could write the worst opening line for a story. And that's how this grew. There are no prizes. And the, the winners get posted up on their Internet page. But it's just one of those fun things that happens every year. Right. And now I understand why the openings are so goofy. They just go on and on and on. I think there's a 500-word limit that they put on it. Somebody has to read these things. But that was, that's the Bulwer-Lytton Award because the author, was his last name was Bulwer-Lytton, I think. Edward? Edward might be his first name. And this is the opening that he wrote for the book that I didn't write down. Okay. So that is the end of the dark and stormy night. That's what Snoopy always starts his book with. So many people had their fires going that smoke was as thick as fog, and you could only see chimneys poking up above. There you go. Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) Uh, uh. That is exactly right. Okay, Memorial Day. What does Memorial Day mean to you? It means uh, that I should at least be pointing out to uh, the family that uh, 
important for us to not take that for granted, but to honor them and to think of them, to thank them for what they have done for us. That's what it is to me. I agree. I agree. I popped something in here. Let's see. Unknown soldier. Okay. I I got something in today that included information about the unknown soldier uh, memorials and markers that are in Arlington Cemetery. And someone on a board, a a forum, wrote some words that really touched me, and I copied them to make sure that I... Who got you know who came up with the idea and got that through the in 1921? The unknown soldier. Yep. It was actually 1861. It started in the Civil War. Well, maybe they had the 21 gun salute and everything. The one I'm thinking, of Arlington T- Cemetery. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. Hamilton Fish. Really. The f- famous New York politician. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, the unknown soldier, it's got to just be symbolic. There's got to be quite a few that are unknown. Right. Uh, especially with the Civil War and Vietnam right. War. Um, you know, they had people out there, you know, decaying in the fields for probably even some years before they were found. There's still a division in the government that are still trying to identify every remain. And they're checking, you know, DNA research and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Why? So we, we do not have an unknown Vietnam soldier any longer. It's, uh, the, the site is dedicated to all who died. It's, and I even I, I even have some information about that, but the unknown soldier identified um, or who was in the un, un, let me start that the the soldier who was in the unknown soldier site for Vietnam vets was identified yeah. and returned to his family, and he was. As far as they know, he was the last one. They have not been able to identify. So there is no soldier in the Vietnam Memorial. And they've rededicated the memorial to all of the soldiers who died. You say there's there's no more more unknown ones in the Vietnam War? Right, right. Everybody's been accounted for. Okay, now Hickam Field is in Hawaii, right? Hickam Field is in Hawaii, yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. That is where they do all of this identifying of the soldiers. Okay. Uh, they do it there. They've got a huge yeah. place. I've seen it several times. Um, I bet at Hickam, my, un- my uncle was the commanding general at the Air Force Base. Oh, for how long? Because it sounds like your uncle moved around. Uh-huh. What well, they do in the military. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he was there for 1985 and 86. Okay. Okay. Well, that would be a fascinating. Um, uh, it was his what? offices. His office when we went and visited him in Hickenfield, still have the bullet holes in the stairwell. They've never taken the bullet holes out from the attack. Pearl Harbor. 
Wow. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I imagine there's there may be quite a few places like that. I would say you're right. No. They, uh, well, I am going to tell you what someone wrote at one of these sites that gave information about Memorial Day, and I was so touched by it. I copied it so I could read it tonight. He wrote, God bless them all, those who fought and died, those who fought and made it home, and those who fought and came home with lifetime injuries. And bless those families whose lives were changed forever. And I I just, I don't know if it was something that spontaneously came out or he carefully chose those words, but they sound like they were carefully chosen. And I thought they touched everything. So I was thinking, um, I see Paul Peterson Facebook posts, and mm-hmm. and uh, I think last Veterans Day he was his sister had a story to tell, and he and he we tweet you know we put it on Facebook, mm-hmm. and she was um her her guy is a Vietnam vet, and they decided to go have breakfast at Denny's, and she spent the entire breakfast time crying because she saw. These World War II vets and everybody coming to the Vietnam and tell them welcome home. You know, everybody had their hats on from the different services. Mm-hmm. Just sort of a very emotional. Yes. Am I understanding correctly that the World War II vets were welcoming home uh-huh. Vietnam vets? V- Vietnam vets at, at this local at this local Denny's restaurant. Was this? Back when they were first coming home, or is this... No, this was here in November on Veterans Day. Okay, after after um, they were rejected sorely all these years yeah. later. Yeah, so it's just, it's, it's very heart, it was just very heartwarming the way they had it written up there, so... Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, that's... Good stuff. Good stuff. Good right. stuff. Good stuff. Good, good stuff. Thank you. Uh, if it t- I'm sorry. Um, I, I had an absolutely terrible day today with uh, my injection and extreme pain. But um, it, is Memorial Day being celebrated on Monday? Monday, uh-huh. Monday. Monday. Yeah. It is oh. now, instead of the 30th, which it always was, it is now one of the holidays that got wrapped up into the Monday routine, so it's always the last Monday of the month. Oh, okay. So the date changes year to year. So it's Monday the 30th this year. So. Mm-hmm. For, for all of you uh, veterans that may be listening, always oh, thank you so much. Thank Amen. you so much for serving our country in war and peace. Whatever it was, it doesn't matter. Yep. We appreciate it for us. Uh, Standing at the ready and 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 doing that, uh, just I have the greatest respect for you and appreciate it. Yeah. Keep it up. Keep All it, the vets made it a better place. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If we didn't have and the people who are serving. Amen. Right. Right now. Yep. Right now. That's right. That's, that's one of the reasons I watch the the different um, war movies that I watch. Uh, 
embedded um, embedded news people in Afghanistan and such uh, cover, covering a certain base or something like, or, you know, an outpost way out there alone that are constantly getting fired upon. It's in my appreciation and desire to get a better feel for what what it is that they are having to do. Right since I myself haven't been uh, in a war and I haven't served that way. I've served in the other way, uh, National um, Laboratory doing defense work, but um, I, I, well, we all, all three of us, we totally appreciate you guys. I agree. And girls. You said it. You said it very well, Paul. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. So now you are going to be going into the question. Yep. Question time. Because I got it's put, question time. I got to put Patricia to bed. You know, she got to get yeah. ready. She got to yeah. get ready. I'm so delicate. Yeah. I got. She got to get ready to cook breakfast. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> I just had dinner, so I have to wait a little bit. <laughs> you, have you been asking trivia questions tonight? Nope. Not tonight. We no. had a we had a we had a guest tonight. We had we had a guest, so that sort of uh, we put a lot of things aside. But, uh, okay. Well, uh, I'll be listening to that later. I got to say to you guys that. Okay. Well, you're gonna um, enjoy, you'll enjoy the guest, so that that's what uh, you got. Uh, okay. I I, I love uh, by the recordings or by hearing it played back on Yesterday USA to hear you guys. Uh, sometime other than Saturday night, it really, it's very heartwarming, you know. If, if, if I missed the the night to be able to hear it later at my leisure, it's like, oh, my people, oh, yeah, <laughs> people. <laughs> That's what it's like. Yeah, well, sure. thank you for doing that. Not everybody has the patience to say, well, it didn't happen tonight. I'm not going to listen to it. But you hang in there. You just do it with us. Thank you. I do. So um, you guys sleep well. You too, Paul. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank you. God bless Good night, you. Paul. Good night. Good night. Yes, we are threatening dancing in the car the pink network Patricia all the time, 24 <laughs> hours of P. Yes, it is. It's the pink network he wants. Yes. It used to be orange, but now it's pink. pink. I really like pink. Even my nook, my, my Kindle-like thingy uh, nook, yep, yep. I got a pink case for it. Oh. I really like pink. And my, my carrying case for my laptop computer, uh-huh. that one's pink. Okay, you are, Not every- you are a pinker. You're pink all the way. I'm a pinky. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I like blue and you like pink. And I like pink, and they go very well together. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not everybody likes pink for things like that. I mean, I happen to like it, but the added benefit is because you see so few of them, if somebody tries to walk out with my computer somewhere, <laughs> it's going to be a lot more noticeable than someone with a simple black case, you know? Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. We have Stump Walden. We have your brain teaser. Presidential question, 
presidential quote, colonial question, first lady question, and your baseball question. You know, when we get to be 100, it's going to be interesting to see what categories you have added to the list by then. <laughs> we, we can say, we can take calls until 1045, <laughs> then we go to Watson's <laughs> questions. We could do that. I don't think so. Of course, the list is growing. I can't wait to see what comes up next year. What else do you like? Oh, I like them all. We can work on I'll ge- find we, something. We, we can work on geography because we both need help in that category. Oh, mama mia! Great, <laughs> great, great. Yep. Oh, yep, 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 yep. Okay. Now what? So, what would you like? Ball is in your court. I know. I know. I'm just thinking about next year. We can add cooking. What do you want? You want? We can teach. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Food. That food. would be interesting. Yeah. I don't know much about cookies except that I like to eat them. Well, yeah. I really like cookies. Okay. We'll put new categories together. Okay. All right. But not tonight. I'm thinking of the next, the great, the next book Patricia can write. You know, my life with Walden, eighteen questions a day. You know. <laughs> <laughs> never-ending saga. <laughs> yes. Okay. We'll make it a diary. A and that diary. means the diary ends when I do, and then somebody else can publish it. Oh. It would have been a dark and stormy night. It was da- a dark, dark and stormy night. <laughs> and Walden called me and said, would you be my guest tonight? <sighs> and that's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. <laughs> Okay, what you want, what you want, what you want. Let's see here. Let's try the presidential quote first. The presidential quote. A lot of presidential memoirs, they say, are dull and self-serving. I hope mine is interesting and (laughs) (laughs) self-serving. That's your Nixon. No, but that's a great answer. Dollars person to write of all the president to write one. Let's see, Jimmy Carter. No, it's not Jimmy Carter. But yeah, clearly, this president had a sense of humor, so maybe he really wasn't dull. I'll let you think he was dull. Oh, gotta be fairly current. Uh, George W. No, it was Bill Clinton. That was pretty and obvious. he does have yeah. a wicked sense of humor. Pretty obvious. I mean, he's he's got some wicked period, but he's got a wicked sense of humor. He really does have a good sense of humor. So, a lot of presidential memoirs, they say, are dull and self-serving. I hope mine is interesting and self-serving. So that was, that was pretty good. I'll give him five points for that. Thank you, Bill Clinton. Oh yeah. Now, what's next? My first lady, whatever. Your first lady, whatever. Well, let me get down here and make sure that I can get to her. Okay. First lady. Which first lady was a teacher of deaf students but became the first first lady to speak in sound newsreels? Now, that chops off a whole bunch of people for you. Uh My first guess is Edith Wilson. 
No, I would have guessed her too, but not. And I would not have guessed this one. Ever. Um, Calvin Coo's wife, I can't think of her name. Is it Emily? That's right. Yeah. That is exactly right. Her name was Grace. And this is just this just blows me away when we talk about Calvin Coolidge. We're talking the 1800s here, you know, in terms of birth and stuff like that. There, Grace Coolidge was born in 1879, and she died in 1957. Wow! 1957. We still had President Coolidge's wife. Wow! I don't know. Anyway, there wow. we go. What would you like? That, that oh, give, me my, give me a pop. Give me a that pop. That was my Lawrence Welk bubble. Give hmm? me a pop. Give me a pop. Give me a quick pop. Very good. I like that. Yeah. Oh, you are so talented. Yeah, that's 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 Lawrence Welk. I wanna, that's my Lawrence Welk. I, I want to take you. I'm going to take you on the road and have you do this as an act. <laughs> Make a bubble, Patricia. Make a bubble. <laughs> oh, What's next you, on our we, on we, our list? Where are we going next? Yeah, we, if <laughs> Make we, a bubble. We can show you for. We can show cheats a different a ticket. See, Patricia make bubbles. You want to demonstrate one? We'll, we'll give everybody a free sample. Give me, give me a bubble. Very good. See, very. Thank you. Very classy. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing we have. It's class. We got it. Okay. What's next? Uh, my baseball question. Your baseball question. Okay. This is, I hope this isn't cheating or anything. It's a baseball quote that I thought was intriguing. This is a quote. I'd walk through hell in a gasoline suit to play baseball. Bob Feller. Who? Bob Feller. Bob Feller? Yeah. No. Mm Mm-mm. More current. Hmm. G90% Yaki, baseball. Yakio Puig. No. What? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, it was not he. Yeah, yeah Yakio <laughs> Puig is the Cuban player who escaped Cuba to get to play ball here in the States. I remember reading about him just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. But no, the answer is no. Okay. And he did not walk on water either. I do not know, my dear. Pete Rose. Ah. And I believe it. Yeah. Oh, Charlie I believe it. I, You know? Yeah. And that was my question for you. How did he get the nickname Charlie Hustle? Well, I think it's the way he ran, and I get tagged him with that. But I don't know beyond that. Yeah, the hustle part I could understand, but how he got to be Charlie, I guess Charlie was a common name, even yeah. Wild Root used it. It was probably slang, you know, some form of mm-hmm. slang. Yeah, they would casually say if they didn't know someone's name, they'd say, hey, Charlie, how you doing? So, yeah, I can understand that. It just looked goofy to me. Pete Rose, Charlie Hustle. Uh, so, yeah. But anyway, he he is the person who said that. Sure. I would believe I would believe that statement from here is just no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it just is such a puzzle that he blew his career on such a stupid thing. 
such a stupid thing. And it's from somebody who loves baseball so much that he would lie in the middle of the road for it. And it just never made any sense to me. But, you know, you get a problem. And... Somebody said he grew, up, he, grew up, he grew up in that gambling environment, the part of Cincinnati he raised, and so mm-hmm. probably never thought yeah. nothing of it, you know, that no. he was going to mm-hmm. get, get caught and jeopardize everything he he made. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what I was going to say, that, you know, you get caught in that, in, in that awful loop. It becomes an illness. I, I, it, it's an uncontrollable illness. So you love the gambling, or you love the alcohol, or you love you know so many other things as much as what you love in your life. I really think, and the, you can't resist either one of them. Yeah. I really think adorable. If he would just told the truth right off the bat, I think he would have been back in baseball by now. I agree. I, I think. I think people love to forgive, especially if you if you own up to it right mm-hmm. away. Yes, yes, and it's impossible to forgive when somebody not only does something bad, but then lies about it, tries to blame it on somebody, just anything to weasel out. And you're right, people are very forgiving. People are very forgiving, and a lot of that happened in the entertainment industry as well. So, okay, what's next? Uh, My presidential trivia. Your presidential question is, which president was the only president who studied to become a doctor? And everything on the Internet is true, and I did not go through the history of uh, all 44. Is it Gorbachev? Yeah. No. Not know. It was William Henry Harrison. Oh. Interesting. But now I have to go back and check the more recent biographies to make sure that we didn't have somebody, well, actually all of the biographies, make sure we didn't have someone hiding in there who wanted to become a doctor. Okay, what's next? Uh, my call Just one for me. Just one for me, but it was so obscure. Uh, I think I have to give it to my- you. My colonial. Your colonial question. Oh, I like this one. This is good. What is the, or was the name, or is the name, whatever, of the first college in the British colonies in North America? The first college? First college in the British colonies. Well, I think we're down to three choices. Let's go with Harvard. It is Harvard. How did I thought it was William and Mary in Williamsburg? William and Mary. I thought that. Yeah. Because I, I was in my top three. It was William and Mary, Harvard, and Yale. And I've heard Harvard's over 400, so that's why I sort of tipped. It was founded in 1636, and it was founded by the Puritans to train new ministers, because all Puritan ministers 
were expected to be college graduates, but it was Harvard. I could not. I that was really a surprise for me. It's amazing a lot of colleges in the north. That's they were founded by churches. Princeton, Harvard, Yale, a lot of them were. You know. Well, this one surprised me. Not only did it surprise me. But I was disappointed, not disappointed, I mean, I was disappointed in myself because I thought it was William and Mary in Williamsburg. No, it's William and Mary is way up there. It's, it's way up there because I was in my top three files. Yeah, and that was colonial. People were arguing in the House of Burgesses, for goodness sakes. But eight, 1636, amazing. Okay, we have so something So we are 380 years old, not quite 400, okay. It hasn't gotten there. Oh, we have your brain teasers. And my Stump Walden. Right? And your Stump Walden question. My brain teaser, my dear. Your brain teaser. If you don't get this, you're fired. There are six sisters in a family. Each sister has one brother. How many brothers are in that family? One. Very good. You're not fired. <laughs> <laughs> You can stay at least until next week. <laughs> okay? All right. So that leaves your Stump Walden question. But there Are you that, ready? Could there be six? I guess not. Six what? Brothers. No, you were right. There's only one brother. Yeah, Each one sister brother, has one I'm brother. Trying, it's the I'm same guy. Think, I'm trying to figure out, could you, could you argue that could, there really could be six brothers, you know, one for each? You know, but I guess not. No. Okay. <laughs> read, read the wording one more time. I want to make sure if I can't okay. come up with another it, it says, there are six sisters in this family. Each sister has one brother. How many brothers yeah. are in that family? So that's, see, that's, that's the trick. Each have one brother. So that, that the one is, is the, uh, the clue. Okay. Whatever you said is okay. <laughs> what did you just say? Well, the key would, word, you, the, the key would you word, rephrase it? The key word in that statement is one. Each has just one brother. The one is the key word. Right. That's all. Or the word a. Each sister has a brother. Uh-huh. Very good. I, I could have said that. Very good. But I didn't. I, I said one brother. Okay, that leaves your stump Walden question. All right. My goodness. This one... When I came across it, I hope to tell you. <laughs> okay. This particular program, this old-time radio program, featured the character John J. Malone. However, the series went through a litany of name changes. The first and last are the same. They went full circle. They started out with one name and... By the time they settled their, themselves, they settled on that name as the last name. However, I want you to tell me what the titles were of this show. The this John J. Malone. Mm-hmm. The, so uh, there were actually five different names. The sixth one is when they went back to the original. The, uh, Dr. Malone. Dr. Malone? Uh-huh. No. Oh. Have Vain. you ever heard any of the Mr. Malone? 
I've heard Dr. Malone. I've heard of Dr. Malone. No. This is John J. Malone. <clears throat> I'm not familiar with him, so is it Sherlock Holmes? No. Oh. I want, I want the six titles of the show as it unfolded. I have no clue, my dear. Okay. Malone's name... In one form or another, Malone, the word Malone is in every one of the titles. Okay. I don't know the series. Okay. Murder and Mr. Malone, The Amazing Mr. Malone, John J. Malone for the Defense, Attorney John J. Malone, and then they went back to Murder and Mr. Malone. Frank left Joy in that one time. Say that again? Frank Lovejoy, was he the star of that at one time? Not that I know of, and it only ran for a year and a half, which is amazing that they had six different names in a year and a half. It was from January 47th through June 48th. And there we are. No, Mr. Malone was an attorney who liked to drink. The opening said he practiced in in every kind of bar or all bars. Whatever it was, he had experience in all bars, and it was a terrible show. I'm going to have to pull one of these for our awful show connection here. Yeah, it, it's just terrible. Me, he found one and sent it to you here right there, so. I, I did, and I replied to it, yeah. yeah. And I want to ask you, <clears throat> I asked Larry in the email, the program he sent has about six minutes of music in the beginning mm-hmm. and closes with some music and a commentary with Alan Lane, right? I, I, I keep yeah. wanting to call him Road, but it's Lane. Yeah, it, 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 Lane. it's the, um, the, West, the Western show. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. And Country? No, that was that was Country Sheriff, I tried. And we'll have that one as well. But in any event, uh-huh. I, I want to know from your brain, would kids sit and tolerate music from the Purple Sage for six minutes and also at the end of this 10 or 12-minute doodad in the center and and tolerate more music. I mean, it makes me crazy listening to six minutes of this stuff. Well, I think that, I think, well, that was a very popular country group at the time, and that's probably what kept the series going because they were associated to all those episodes. It it stayed on because of the purple sage. I would not be surprised. Gee whiz! And in, I, I can see grown-ups listening through this. It would be like listening to Gene Autry, which was a puzzle for me too, with his Melody Ranch. All yeah. they did was sing. Yeah. Um, but I thought kids, especially boys, would want to get into a western story and not have to suffer through six minutes of the Purple Sage singing. Now, they were good. You know, it was like the, the Roy Rogers group. Um, help me here. Sons of the Pioneers. Sons of the Pioneers. I mean, it was yeah. a good singing group. But I just didn't think kids would tolerate sitting through that. I, I, you know, I think, we had, I think we're listening to a lot of this to 2016 years. And we're, we, we don't consider how big music was back in those days. 
So yeah. it was accepted that a lot of shows had some form of music interspersed in the show. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you think about it, some shows even had a music show before and after or, or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a different temperament of a listener, I think. I agree. It has to be. That these kids just accepted it as part of a Western show. I think it was the show was good for the adults because they would try to have some country star I'd never heard of a lot of time, and it's just uh, I've he- I've heard the Christmas show. It's just not a not one of the greatest series of all time. Well, one of the fun things that happened there. I'm confident this is not the show I heard it on first, but. It it could be because the most memorable thing was a fluff, and the guy said something about if any one of you dares to come on this property again, you're taking your hands in your life. <laughs> and that's the second time I've heard that. Uh-huh. Can't be can't only be two times that somebody would have fluffed that line because it's an easy one to fluff, yeah. but that was the most memorable part about that entire show. <laughs> going to take your life or your hands in your life, and nobody nobody burped. They just kept going. Sure. Just never skipped a beat. Not a pause. Not a smile. Not a nothing. They just kept going. So we were clearly dealing with a group of professional actors, but the storyline was so trite and so overdone, and it just. You know, I'm I'm not sure it's bad enough for an awful show, but it's bad enough not to make it anywhere else. So that's the end. All right. Are we going to hit the road? We're going to hit the... I'm going to hit the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> I have good stuff in there. I've got watermelon in there. That's what I have for dessert for dinner tonight, watermelon. Did you? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I couldn't resist. It was 25 cents a pound watermelon when I suddenly bought it. Well, I, I bought pre-cut because it was two for the price of one. For, and they're, they're sizable bowls that they put these in, but it wasn't 25 cents a pound, that's for sure. When you when you buy anything that's been treated yep. nicely or otherwise, but I brought some to my cousin's house yesterday ah. because she loves fruit. She just loves fruit. Right. And I thought, well, two for one, they couldn't have picked anything better than, <laughs> than doubling up on a, on a really good fruit. So she was very pleased. Okay, I'm finished. All right, Patricia, and I ready to hit the road. We'll be with you next month, everybody. <gasps> it's going to be June, and that's half the year. That's right. And then it's going to be Christmas in Christmas July. In July. And I have a note that I have to call Dave about Santa Claus. Uh-huh. And Chad, if you're listening, I hope you are. Um, we need some help with the Christmas tree people. I got thinking tonight, maybe we should call um, Bailey, New York, you know, uh, Bedford Falls, Bedford Falls, in Bedford New York. Falls, yes. We should call them, too. And that would be a good time of the year for I them, too, so. because they... They go crazy at Christmas time. Right. That's the, the, um, <laughs> it's a wonderful life. You're very good. I am having such trouble retrieving words tonight. You're doing great. Um, you, do, you did terrifically well. 
Oh, thank you, thank you. It helps if you write them out. (laughs) (laughs) When we go off script, I'm in in trouble. And we did have a good time with uh, Tracy O'Connor and Jeff Kerner. I'm glad it turned out well. I'm glad I would. It did. It did. And they were so gracious about their time. So each time I, I tried to ask, how are we doing on time, one of them would jump in with a comment. So... I did the best I could. I'm glad I couldn't get in because they were great. You did great. They were great. Okay. I'm ready. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. Good night, everybody. Thank you for being with us. Absolutely, everybody. We love you all. Good night, Patricia. Good night, Walden. The whole world is crazy. If this isn't love, I'm daft as a daisy With moons all around And cows jumping over There's something to miss And I'll eat my hat if this isn't love I'm feeling like the apple On top of William Tell With this I cannot grapple Because, because You're so adorable If this isn't love, then winter is summer. If this isn't love, my heart needs a plumber. I'm swinging on stars, I'm riding on rainbows. I'm busting with bliss, and I'll kiss your hand if this isn't love. A secret, I got a little secret. A secret, a secret, a secret kind of secret. I'm aching for to shout it to every daffodil and tell the world about it. In fact, I think I will. If this isn't love. I'm riding on rainbow I'm busting with flip And I'll kiss your hand if this isn't love If this isn't love The whole world is crazy The whole world's blowing its top If this isn't love I'm daft as a daisy On a beast up by a cup with moons all around and cows jumping over. There's something to miss, and I'll eat my head if this isn't love. I'm busting with bliss, and I'll kiss your hand if this isn't love.
Jaws Professional, Patricia from FL Home, Bill Bragg, Jeff Kirst, Alt Tab, Skype Trademark, Left Bracket 37, Right Bracket, Alt F4, Alt Tab, Patricia, Alt Tab, Alt Tab, Skype Trade, Alt Tab, Patricia from Alt Tab, Alt Tab, Patricia, Alt Tab. Windows M, Desk S, Seagate XS, Sound for Enter. User account Y, Sound Forge, Escape, Escape, Enter, 0.016 seconds. Enter, 0.01, menu bar, me A, leaving menus, save as dialog, file name colon, sound 1.wav, edit. S A T U R D A Y N I G H T 5 8 1 6 Dub I T H P A T R I C I A F I R S T Dub I T H T R A C Y O, comma C O N E L L A N D J E F F K R E S T E N Save as save enter data window 0.016 seconds Jaws Professional Prove Music Core Input Prove Music Alt F4 Fibber McG and Molly for Alt Tab Alt Tab Alt Tab Alt Tab Alt F4 Alt Tab Task Switching Alt Tab Jaws Professional Alt Tab Sound Forge Pro 